everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast about movies. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. And uh, we watched so many movies, as always. We're just uh, okay. I I have multiple excuses. I want I want to put cards on the table here. I just want to come clean about something. I meant to do this in the non-homophobia zone, and um, I I forgot, and so we're just this week for the podcast. We return. To the David Lynchiverse, <laughs> um, we are talking about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. We did not. It's ominous stairwells right now. Ominous stairwells. We did not finish watching season two. I put a little time into watching some season two, but it, as you recall, as you may recall, if you're new here, as you may recall, um, <clears throat> we watched season one of Twin Peaks, did a bunch of podcasts about it. We are not suited to doing a TV podcast. So we're like, oh, well, we'll just watch season two on our own time and we'll get to fire walk with me. Yeah, whatever. And we were not doing that. We we simply just stopped watching season two. Yeah, we were watching season two, but not as quickly as we probably should have been. Yeah, we should have like set a deadline or something. And so I said, hey, let's just kick this project back into gear because just so we can cross it off our list. I want to watch Lost Highway. I want to watch Inland Empire. Um, The thing is. Like, part of the project is, like, we want to watch all the David Lynch movies. We also want to include Twin Peaks in that because it's, like, a significant thing of it. Uh-huh. But we've both seen all of Twin Peaks. Yeah. And so, and we were already talking about our thoughts on Twin Peaks. Yes. When we were doing, like, season one. Yes. We and so like I'm probably watching... still going to, like, have season two going throughout. And then probably when we, like, get to the end of the movies, I'll, like, watch The Return again mm-hmm. or something. Um, But just, like... Trying to hold everything up while we slowly watch through season two. Um, it just, it wasn't going to work for us. Yeah. So we watched Firewalk with me. Especially because I'm just really Gundam brained trying to get all the, through all of Gundam for when I go on GGB. Right. So you're good. Here's the, here's the thing I'm putting my cards on the table about to bring this all back home. We watched Firewalk with me two days ago. You're Gundam brained. I'm fantasy novel brain, comics brain, um, a little bit video game brain, a lot of work brain, a lot of work brain, yeah, a lot of. I've also had a lot of work. Oh, and a lot of basketball brain. That's the other thing is that I've been watching a lot of basketball, which I'm not doing a podcast about. Thank God, because um, if I were having to podcast about my Sixers, I'd probably drop dead. <laughs> um, so we watched Firewalk with me. Firewalk with me is still. One of the greatest movies ever made. Still probably David Lynch's best movie. I'm gonna mm, I don't know if it's best movie, but we can we can we'll dis- talk about it. We can discuss that. Um I was watching Firewalk with me, and when we get to the main segment, I'm gonna be really effusive about it because I think Firewalk with Me is something very special. It's in my like top four on Letterboxd for a reason, because it is truly it means a lot to me. And also I'm just so not movie mode right now that I was like, yeah, this is good. Like, yeah. in the moment of watching Fire Walk with yeah. me, I'm just not in a movie mode. And it just is not grabbing me into it in the way that movies so often do. The other thing is, neither of us are watching a lot of movies. And I think Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me is a movie that, like, you're like, yeah, like when you're like more deep in it. Yeah. Um, whereas the thing that's going to get the reaction like that from us now is going to be like, like if, if we had put on 
Friday night, like a Jackie Chan movie would have been having a blast because it just would have like got us more, you know, it's like getting you limbered up. Right. So fire walk with me is not a limbering up movie. Yeah. (laughs) So actually, so we got your movie first on the spreadsheet, but that actually ties in really well to the movie I watched. Yeah. We can switch this around. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, Another thing, if you're new here, um, before we talk about Firewalk with me, we're going to talk about the other movies we watched this week. I only watched one, um, Infernal Affairs. Um, oh, I guess I watched Shrek Forever After, but you can go listen to Pardon My Franchise to hear about that. Um, so I watched Infernal Affairs today with Molly, um, who had not seen it. Infernal Affairs is like the perfect four-star movie. It's not especially deep. It's not like... The most, yeah, oh my god, the storytelling, the filmmaking, the craft. It's just a good-ass movie. And I was I was so much more enraptured with Infernal Affairs than I was with Fire Walk With Me. And I like Fire Walk With Me more than I like Infernal Affairs. I think Fire Walk With Me is a better movie. Like, I'm not saying that Fire Walk With Me is not, you know, all that it, whatever. It's just that, like, the thing I was excited about was to watch the two guys sort of be gay at each other, and I just, I needed a dumber movie this week than what Firewalk With Me is. Um, yeah. Also, like... It, like, my top four on Letterboxd, only yesterday, if I watched that today, I would have been bored. Firewalk With Me, you know, I wasn't as into it. Rebels of the Neon God, I think if I watched Rebels of the Neon God this week, I'd be like, yeah, that movie's pretty good. Like, I'm just, my heart's just not in this type of movie right now. And, you know, it yeah. is what it is. Some days you have it and some days you don't. And that's where we're at today. You know? Um, I think the other thing that, that happened a little bit with me, um, I was getting my hair cut by uh, my hairstylist who I, I trust. I I can I consider myself friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been cutting my hair, like, basically since I came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly before, but like, yeah, I, I came out to them and then they came out to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they also have been doing to like any of their clients before. So, mm-hmm. um, but we'll go up and like, usually we're just talking about movies because they also watch a lot of movies. They also love David Lynch. Um, they cut David Lynch's kid's hair, not the one that's in Twin Peaks, really? but the younger brother. Oh, oh. It was like born right around the time. The Twin Peaks was being made. Can I tell? Can I quick tell my David Lynch barista story real quick? Okay. This is very short. Um, the other day I stopped in a Starbucks, um, and <laughs> um, I ordered my stuff. I go sit down, and um, I wanted to jump in this conversation, but I thought it would be weird to come over from across the cafe and be like, "I heard you talking about David Lynch. Now I'm part of this conversation." Yeah. But I, I was I just eavesdropped on the barista was telling the person at the counter, yeah, and he does these weather reports in LA and every Friday he's like, if you can believe it, and I was so tickled to just hear people talking about the weather. <laughs> not not even yeah. like someone was telling somebody about Twin Peaks because I've I've seen customers. I had a customer once wear a baseball cap that was like, the owls are not what they seem. And I was like, oh, you're a Twin Peaks fan. And we chit-chatted about it. That's one thing. Yeah. To hear in the wild people talking about the weather reports brought me so much joy. <laughs> Such delight. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Your, your hairstylist cut uh, David Lynch's son's hair once. Or yeah. kid's hair. I don't. Yeah, son. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Riley Lynch, I think. Okay. Is the one. Um, but anyway. Uh, but I was talking to them being like, yeah, you know, 
because they haven't seen all David Lynch's movies. And it's like, yeah, I also haven't. And we were like doing this project, trying to watch through all of them. And we like hit Twin Peaks and we just like got bogged. Like one, we were just watching David Lynch like back to back week after week. Yeah. Which is in and of itself, like with any director going to burn it. Like, uh-huh. I fucking love Kurosawa. If we did just like nothing but Kurosawa for two weeks mm-hmm. or two years, I would be like, burn the fuck out on Kurosawa. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be two years. It'd be like a year, but still. still. Yeah. And like, so I think wanna... it was that. And then like, you know, the, the show was bogging it down, but I was like, I feel like I'm at a point where I want to start watching some of them again, but I haven't like fully gotten over the like slight burnt out uh-huh. on, on David Lynch. And so I think I was also feeling that watching it being like, but there's still just like this project that we have to do that we're like working through. Uh-huh. And that in and of itself, like makes me relate to the films differently. Yeah. I think also, and this isn't something I thought about until you mentioned, like, the project of it just now. In 2022, you know, Letterboxd has the stats page, and I got so... I like watching numbers go up. I like, you know... I probably have undiagnosed OCD, you know? Um, Or or if it's not that, it's something else that just makes me, like... need things to be neat and orderly and in the way that I want them to be. And I got really fixed in 2022 throughout a lot of the year on the letterbox stats page and getting that number to go up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think like I got through 2022 and I didn't, I didn't feel the same, like, like the first two weeks of 2023, I didn't watch, I watched like two movies or something. And I think that just like, oh, well, now I fucked it up, and now my number for 2023 isn't going to be as big as my 2022 number, and so movies are dead to me now. <laughs> um, I think I just, like, hit a hit a point where I was really enjoying movies, and also the number was driving that as much as the enjoyment of the movies itself, and when the number dropped out, it was like, oh, I, you know, fucked up my relationship to movies. Yeah. I think it'll come back. I, I think... I. Because I think last year, I started the mo- year watching a ton of movies, the NBA playoffs happened, and that was two months where I was not watching movies, and then the, when the playoffs ended, I slowly got back into a movie mood, and I I kind of think it'll the same thing yeah. will happen, where once I'm not watching a two-hour game every fucking night, because I need the Sixers to... Please, God, I need the Sixers to win. I need us to get out of the second... I need us to beat Boston. That's the thing. I don't need the Sixers to win the championship. I don't need the Sixers... I don't need anything from the Sixers, except I need us to beat Boston. I need us to beat Boston. I'm done talking about basketball. So, yeah, I think I'm also really going to start watching more movies once I get through the Gundam yeah, stuff. Yeah, you've got you got a Gundam deadline that is yeah. looming over you. And also now I have the Chrono Cross deadline that feels a little less looming, but is also like, oh, I should probably spend the night playing Chrono Cross so that mm-hmm. I can make sure that mm-hmm. I beat that. Now that I've gotten that okay for my kid to play Chrono Cross with that, then. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and I just have, like, a busy week ahead. Yeah. Um, busy, like, week and a half, honestly. Um, so. But, and, like, the big thing, I didn't watch any movies last week. And the main reason why is I have one thing to rate. Uh, yeah. Grand Escalier du Mont Royal, the grand staircase of Mount Royal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Emily, my, my, you know, our child, 
uh, and I, we went to Montreal. You made it sound like Emily was your child's name. <laughs> yeah. I just don't say my kid's name on podcast. So there's yeah. Emily, there's our kid. The kid then, of you and Emily. <laughs> yeah. And then there's me. Uh-huh. We all went to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, like it, it was our kids first time on an airplane. They were all excited. That was fun. Um, while we were on the plane and like also just like in the airport and, you know, like traveling stuff. Cause also traveling with a toddler, we like got to the airport even earlier than we normally would. And we, I'm a person who wants to be there early anyway. Mm-hmm. I want to sit down. I want to like get a coffee yeah. and something to eat and like sit down and drink the coffee and eat the thing and like, you know, double check. Like, is it still at this gate? Like, see, that's what I want. See, I used to live your lifestyle. And then that trip to Dallas in February, now I'm like, actually, missing your flight is the way to go. Because then that's a couple hours of just like, well, I can't do anything but be in this airport. I'm fucked for a couple of hours. (laughs) Missing your flight is actually the power move. Because we got to fucking Denver, which was not where we were supposed to be at all. I was like, well, I have nothing to do but drink overpriced alcohol, so I guess I'll drink overpriced alcohol. That was um, living. I, I've never enjoyed flying as much as when we accidentally ended up in Denver. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, with Toddler, though, we, like, mm. built in even more time. Cause, oh, you didn't want to just route your toddler the, through Denver? <laughs> yeah, by the way... um. A additional like a, a hack if you're if you're a trans woman and you have a child uh-huh when you go through the tsa security the kid can't go into the body scan machine mm-hmm. the small toddler mm-hmm. they don't let that kid go in there the kid has to go through the metal detector uh-huh. but the kid going through the metal detector also needs an adult accompanying them mm-hmm. which means that if you are accompanying the to- toddler you get to go through the metal detector and then the scanner doesn't say your genitals are weird. <laughs> we have to then take you into a room to grope you. Yeah. Which is what happened the last time I flew. Uh-huh. So like before this, um, it's been a really long time since I've, I've done travel like this. Um, you know, we were obviously like mask on the plane. Don't take it off. Uh, we seem to be fine mm-hmm. so far. No. I've been exposed to COVID more recently than you have. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. And then it was a lot of like the, in general, just the way that Emily and I travel is for the most part, we're like going around eating food and just like going play. Like mm. Emily does the most work for this, but I'll, I'll also do this stuff traveling on my own or, um, you know, help out with it. But like, she'll like set up a, a map Mm-hmm. in Google Maps that has, like, a bunch of pins that are just, like, here are cool places. Like, this is a restaurant that I looked up that sounded good. Or, like, here's some coffee shops that are probably... Like, I looked up, like, what are some of the good, like, coffee shops that there might be a train... Like, the dollop of whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll, like, put pins there. Um, here are, like, various, like, things. Like, oh, here's museums and stuff. And then it's just, like, all on there. So then wherever you are, you just pull up the map and you look at what pins are around you and you're like, oh, that'll be fun to go to. And you want to, like, go eat there or whatever. This sounds... So I don't travel a ton, but my parent, my my, my dad and my stepmom travel a lot. Um, and So my experience of traveling is always that my stepmom would make a list of, alright, on Monday, I want to go to this restaurant. On Tuesday, I want to go to this restaurant. On Wednesday. And that was 
basically all of the planning they did. They're like, we know the restaurants we want to go to. And I don't know. We'll just kind of fuck around when we get there. The thing that you do sounds so much more fun than what my parents Yeah, do. no, because it, it literally is just like, find yourself in a place. Like, just go someplace. And maybe you'll wake up in the morning and you'll be like, oh, we should go to Drawn and Quarterly. Mm-hmm. And so then you'll, like, look up there and you'll be like, oh, what restaurants are around? And you'll kind of think through that day a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes it is just like, oh, we're... And also it's like just being open to other things. So we'll, we want to get... uh When we went to Drawn and Quarterly, we went twice... Because the first time we went, the, like, kid's store was closed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't open on Monday or whatever, whatever day it was. Um, so we went back to go to the kid's store. Um, but, you know, got a, most of our souvenirs were just books from Drawn and Quarterly. Uh, but while, while we were there, we went to Fairmount Bagels because, like, Montreal Bagels are, is a whole thing. Um, and I think I like Fairmount more than St. Vidier. I forget the actual... Um, but because Fairmont does these like cumin bagels that are like fennel and cumin seed, um, that I just like, cause I'm a sicko who likes rye bread and cumin and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were going to like the Fairmont, then there was just like, we walked by this random, like, it was just like a window under the sidewalk where all they sell you is gnocchi. Mm-hmm. It's just like gnocchi. And then like how much cheese and like. I forget what the other thing was. Like I, I the want, toppings you want. I, I, I just... I think I would die if I lived near that. I think I would eat so much gnocchi, and I would die. It was it was $5. Canadian dollars. It was just like four US dollars. For like a, a large like Chinese... You know the like Chinese takeout where it's like uh-huh. got the yeah, folded yeah, yeah, corners yeah, yeah, all yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, and yeah, the little yeah, like yeah, metal yeah, handle? Yeah, 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 it was yeah. like one of the bigger ones like... Uh-huh, Not the little uh-huh, tiny rice uh-huh. one, but like the bigger rice one. You know? I'm feeling full thinking about and they this. just they just <laughs> fill it up with gnocchi and then put how much like you pay more if you want like a lot of cheese on it. I want a lot That's of cheese it. on it. Yeah. So <laughs> then you pay t- six. $6. Well, let me tell you something. I want a lot of cheese on that bitch. <laughs> um, and that was one of the best things we ate. Um, we also got stuff from uh, Super. Uh, it was Le Super Qualité. This is the name of the restaurant, <laughs> which I think is, I'm of the opinion that, like, if you name your, like, chips, like, tasty, uh-huh. I'm going to, like, question that. Uh-huh. Like, if, if you feel the need to write on your packaging, like, it's delicious or whatever, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm going to be like, shouldn't that be self-evident? This is Shouldn't why you, you need to not tell me that? See, this is why, this is why squirt is the superior soda, because all that shit says on there is squirt, you yeah. know? Um, but anyway, <laughs> just really trying to like get that, that, uh, actual endorsement. Um, but anyway, not squirt, a sponsor, but could be squirt. Please sponsor us. <laughs> you sponsor ghost divers already. So you can sponsor us too. <laughs> um, but so, but Le Super Qualité was like a, uh, uh, Indian, like, kind of street foodish place. Um and it was really good too. The dosa was like do you know what dosa is? No. It's like a fermented batter, sort of like large crepe kind of thing. It's like a, mm-hmm. a savory pancake that usually gets wrapped around like curried potato and um like sort of a dried curry potato and things. And then you have like chutneys and things. And real in my opinion the really bad dosa is like too soft and spongy like injera 
Like you want it a little bit thinner and crispier, but also sometimes it like gets to the point where it's like too, like it was soft and pliable enough that they wrapped it up. Mm-hmm. Right. But now if you like try to move it, it just instantly starts cracking. And this was like that perfect level where you still would bite into it and you would get the like crispy outside, but also it was still like pliable. Mm. It was like that perfect okay. level in between. Okay. 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 Uh, and sometimes when it's like, it isn't at that stage and it's just fully cracking apart, then it tastes too dry Okay, to me. Yeah. So, but they did it really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was probably one of the other best meals we had, but, um, so how were the stairs? So. One of the things we did, we did it like the first day, other than like the day that we came out on the plane. I kind of think doing this on the first day was a mistake, or maybe it was the best decision. So we did this on the first day, and we did it on the first day because it was the best weather for it, and it was. Mm. It did not really start raining until we were like almost at the bottom of the mountain. Okay. But we climbed a mountain. Uh Any other day we would have been miserable because it would have been raining. The last day, it like that like full day that we were there, there was a part where like the morning was like great and then suddenly a downpour hit and we were just like in the middle of like a large park like at a playground where it's like a long distance before we got anywhere mm-hmm. um and we had like walked through the rain and to get to the uh peri peri chicken place that we were going to and stuff um and i was a little bit like miserable and grumpy during that i think i was like texting you all yeah you were just like oh i hate montreal i hate travel i hate (laughs) i I wasn't like i hate montreal i hate travel i was just like grumpy about everything about the rain and stuff Mm. um but when we climbed the mountain it it was like pretty good weather i think it was the warmest day as well it wasn't like super warm while we were there so um it worked out, except that then my legs were just tired the rest of the trip. Yeah. Because they climbed a fucking mountain. Uh-huh. We specifically climbed the Grand Staircase, uh-huh. which is like 400 wooden steps or something. Mm-hmm. They go from... You already have to climb like basically a massive, like almost part of the mountain like hill to to go up the block, like walk up like multiple blocks of street. Mm-hmm. Just like on the sidewalk before you get to the grand staircase, but then you're just like climbing stairs all the way up a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say it was like an A. Okay. They're wooden stairs. Like they could have been prettier. Like there was no like stairs carved out of stone mm-hmm. in the side of the mountain. Because mm-hmm. I also climbed a mountain once when um, I went to Xi'an in China for my brother's wedding. And there was a lot more just like, like walking around, like there's a path, but it was more just kind of hiking stuff. And then when you would get to like the more, there was a like very steep carved out of stone into the face of the mountain staircase with like ropes that you have to like hold on to or else you're going like, to okay. fall off. The okay. Okay. That was, that was the, the China, the mountain in China. Okay. Um, and that like you're saying up that's that is S like, rank. Yeah, that's like getting more S rank because it's like you like carve this into the mountain. Uh huh. You know. Okay. These are wooden steps. Yeah. But it was still a fucking huge staircase that I climbed up. So. Oh, I should. Um, should we, we went and and saw a giant metal cross. Ooh. Somebody built at the top. That's fun. Because Jesus, you know. Yeah. People love that guy. People do love that guy. People do be putting uh, crucifixes on mountains and shit. Yeah. 
I should talk a little bit about the stairs in Infernal Fair uh, Infernal Affairs. I almost said Infernal Farewells, which would also be a good title. Uh, I I should talk about the stairs and just a little bit about that movie. I have talked about it before on the podcast, um, and kind of like I mentioned earlier, um, it's like it's it is the perfect four star movie, right? Like it is the perfect perfect four star movie which is why you rated it five stars which is why i rated it five stars because somali and i watched it and i opened i opened up letterbox to rate it and i had seen that i like had rated it four stars and i was like i was like i've watched this movie three times now and i love it more every time i have to give this five stars and molly watched it was like four stars yeah <laughs> And that's Infernal Affairs in a nutshell. Like, Jackson was talking about it and said kind of the same thing, where they rated it four stars when they watched it, and then they thought about it every day for a fucking week, because it is the most Jackson movie that anybody has ever made. It is just guys in suits talking, you know? That is yeah. all it is. <laughs> um, and so I, I think it is exquisite. I think it is... Um, I think it, it, it's just... It's just an hour and 40 minutes of guys in suits being moody and using flip phones. And if you can't get behind that, we have different taste. So last time I read this, the stairwells in this movie, because I watched it, I think I watched it after Jackson watched it again. Or I, I think Jackson watched it the first time and I was like, huh, I haven't seen that movie in a couple years. I'm going to rewatch that. Um, I gave it a B plus. I'm going to say B minus because, um, <clears throat> So there's one really good stairwell scene where, so people don't know Infernal Affairs, um, there's an undercover cop who is in with this triad, and there is a guy who is part of the triad that is a mole for the cops. He's like snitching on what the cops do to the to the triad. And these guys are at cross purposes, and there's a, there's a bit where the undercover cop is meeting with um, his supervisor, the only guy who knows his true identity. And they're up on the roof of this building, and all the the triad finds out the the superintendent, the, the guy who's been fucking up our whole shit. He's, like, on the r- roof of this building, alone with maybe the mole. And they're like, well, he's alone right now. We'll just go kill him. <laughs> so, like, 40 triad guys roll up, and there's, like... It's like escape sequence where the triad guys are like covering the stairs and the elevator and the, the guys are getting, getting on stairs. It's really good. And then there's like an okay scene later on where the guy who's undercover in the cops, he's like, he just does, does some ill shit and he's like coming up the stairs, like sort of like, oh man, I just did some ill shit. I don't know how I feel about it. And then at the top of the stairs, everybody's, oh, congratulations on your promotion to lieutenant or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then there are 20 scenes, like no no exaggeration, like 20 scenes where you see some stairs and you see a guy walking toward the stairs and then the camera cuts to like, oh, he got up those stairs. And I'm like, what the fuck, movie? Show me the goddamn stairs. Or like, Oh, there's a guy walking on the stairs, but you can't see the stairs. You just see him coming up them, you know? Or, like, 
there's a bit where like the guy is moving into an apartment and it's like, yeah, there are stairs outside the apartment, but like these are just, you know, apartment building stairs and there's not really a conversation happening here. There's no stairs involved in the scene. Yeah. I felt so teased by the stairs. I have to demote this to a B minus because there's the one excellent scene, the one okay scene. And I just felt like I was getting teased so much. I couldn't stand it. No good. I have no idea if the stairs in Shrek Forever After were good. I'm not reading the stairs in Shrek Forever After. <laughs> there definitely were stairs. I was definitely high. It was definitely Shrek Forever After. I wasn't like on my movie critic brain being like, how are the stairs? I got to evaluate what the stairs in Shrek Forever After say yeah, about the, the thematics. Fa- the, the famous movie critic <laughs> question of how was the stairs? I've always that fucking that one fucking tweet just eviscerated our whole bit. We have to make a new podcast now because of that one fucking tweet. <laughs> um. So yeah, should we just should we get into fire walk with me? Do we have anything else? I felt like there was something I was gonna say when you were in all talking about the stairs and stuff. You did look like you had that look of like Autumn. Shut up! I'm trying to make a joke here. For a second. No, I don't think it was a joke. I think there's a thing I wanted to say at some point. Okay. You also just like had a look like, you're going really long about Infernal Affairs. <laughs> I'm just a little sleepy. Yeah. I was... If you're my boss, don't listen oh. to this right now. I was telling you... I was telling Molly. I was like, I might take a sick day on Wednesday. I've been working a lot. And I might take a sick day on Wednesday. And now, it's Sunday night. I have to be work at work in eight hours. Not like getting ready for work. I have to be working in eight hours. And I'm like, might have a sick day tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see. Might have a sick day tomorrow. Um. Um. There was. If you're my boss, once, you can oh. listen to the podcast again now. Okay. Um. Did I mention that I read six volumes of Berserk? That was no. So the other things I did on my my trip. So Where I was mentioning at? when we were in the, you know, going super early to the airport and everything, and on the plane and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's when I was just reading Berserk. So I went mm-hmm. through six volumes. I just chewed through it. Um, the fish girl, the mermaid, she got introduced and found out, you know, heard her true name or whatever, mm-hmm. and turned into the mermaid. Yeah. That's about where I left off. How are you? How are you? I thought this. I thought that this. Are you in the Fantasia arc now? Is that what this is called? Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, Griffith remakes the world and there's the egg yeah. or something. Um, there, Drossil, the world tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, are you, how are you liking this part of Berserk? About the same. Okay. Then, then you just don't like Berserk, and that's fine. No! So the thing is that I just mm-hmm. think that Berserk is, like, four stars. And uh-huh. to everyone else, this is, like, ridiculous. It's, like, so clearly a five-star thing. Well, okay, and so it just okay. means that I just don't like Berserk. The, the, the thing about it is that... Okay, that is, the thing you are saying is true. Where everybody hears you say Berserk is four stars... And thinks you're being absurd and is like, oh, my God, you said Berserk. I'm feeling that right now. I'm like, oh, you said Berserk is four stars. You must hate Berserk. (laughs) Yeah. I'm feeling it. And so I I sympathize. I also think that there is a contrarian streak in you that is like, 
Berserk is four stars. It is like, <laughs> like I think you, I think you exaggerate. Oh, not exaggerate. I think you focus on the things that you don't care for in Berserk a little more when talking about it because everybody else has antagonized you into this position where four stars means you hate Berserk. <laughs> the the main things with Berserk is one, I wish the chapters were longer. Mm. I feel like it just is often like held back from really getting deep into things because chapters are so short. Interesting. Um, Cause you just have so few pages to, and there are parts where like those pages really get used. There's like a two chapter thing that's uh, doing like backstory for Serpico where it just fully turns in like this part, those two chapters of Berserk are just a shoujo manga. Mm-hmm. And it's like dense in the way that like various shoujo manga pages can just be dense where it's like, it's not about having the super highly detailed backgrounds and monsters and everything. It is like actually about the characters interacting and like dialogue and things like that. And I think I just care about that more in comics. Uh, Not that like some of the spreads aren't, but like there are some parts when like the Fantasia stuff is happening where there's like multiple chapters with like barely any dialogue and there are like mm. images, but a lot of the images are just like here. I just drew a whole bunch of other weird monsters, but in like a different style, mm-hmm. and it's fine. But like, that's not getting into what I like and care about with comics, I guess. Mm-hmm. In the same way, where like sometimes Berserk feels more like I'm flipping through an art book hmm. than I am reading a comic, and those are the parts where I'm the most like the pictures are interesting, but I'm the most bored with what it's doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I want like that art to be further in service of something, I guess. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like it's just being there for the sake of the art rather than like having that art being there to emphasize some other thing mm-hmm. or like be doing like additional thematic. And sometimes that stuff is thematic, but like there's a line, there's a line where like it becomes just about the art itself which is still fine, but it's less what I want from comics and more what I just want from like looking at cool pictures. I'm I'm curious about something. Just give me like one sentence reactions. How you feel about these characters? Guts. Um. One sentence. One sentence. Like, and it could be two words. It could be like, he's fine if you wanted to. If. Um. Guts is like. I think Guts is interesting, but Connor would get a lot more from what's happening with Guts than I do. Okay, Griffith. I fucking love that bitch. I knew you. I, okay, there we go. <laughs> See, this is part of why I thought you would like the Fantasia arc is because that's when you started to get into like, oh, Griffith just gets perspective chapters. I don't think Griffith gets enough perspective chapters. But as you get like into Falcon of the Millennium Empire and or let's Millennium Falcon. It's the Millennium Falcon arc. Yeah. <laughs> as you get into that and um um Fantasia, I think the I think the Griffith perspective chapters do a lot for the book. And I wish yeah. there were more of those. Yeah. Um Shirka. Um I like her. She's she's in the like higher tier i like what's going on with her okay see this this is the other thing is that i thought shirka is my favorite character 
like I to me at a certain point, Ber- guts or I almost called the book guts. Berserk to me becomes a book where Shirka is the protagonist and guts is this other guy who's hanging around. That's just I'm not saying that's like what Miura thinks of it, but that is like to me it becomes Shirka's story becomes more interesting than his at a certain point. And so if you if it sounds like maybe you don't feel the same way, I can understand why maybe the Fantasia stuff isn't hitting quite as hard for you. Whereas I thought maybe you would feel the same way I do, and that's what would elevate this stuff. Yeah. I I I like her a lot, but also in a way where like Sometimes there's a there she's serving a function of like lore drop about the way that the magic in the world works, and, and I just don't care about that in the way. Yeah, I think you that's do. me, me fantasy novel brain just being yeah. like mm, magic system. Yum 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 yum. <laughs> um, like sometimes I wanted to get more into what it means with like all the like old gods and stuff, rather than kind of like explaining to me the system of it. Uh huh. I want to like get like the me of the thematic thing that is there, but I, I wish it focused on mm-hmm. that a little bit more sometimes. Um, and then it's also like, like the parts where like, she's like, uh, possessing guts and stuff. That stuff's great. Yeah. It makes those like battles. Cause so often I'm uh-huh. like extremely bored with like guts is in a battle, yeah. but having it now guts is in a battle and is having a conversation with Shirka about yes. stuff. Yes. Makes those battles work in a way that battles, for a large portion of the, the and it manga also, has not worked for me. I think it adds a certain element of stakes to it where like there are a lot of fights earlier in Berserk where you like, oh, the stakes here are like, is Guts going to win? And it's like, you know, Guts is going to win. You Sucking know? Guts, yeah. And like, or like, oh, is, Gu- is Guts going to like, feel depressed after this fight. And I was like, yeah, he's going to feel depressed. This is the thing that Guts does. Is he fights people and then is, <laughs> has depression about it. You know, having Shirka like along for the ride adds a certain like, these are real stakes. Before and you it, were telling me there were stakes, now there are stakes. Yeah. And also it, it makes having her like actually there in the moment also makes the stuff with like, the berserk armor and like, can he pull back enough from it so that he doesn't hurt other people like makes that actually more dynamic and interesting than just kind of having that, like the way that it first manifests. Uh-huh. Uh, because now you have like converse, a character's having a conversation about it in a way that is just going to be more appealing to me. Cause I just want like characters talking to each other mm-hmm. and often I'm just flipping through pages and pages of like lusciously drawn battles. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this looks good, but like, I'm not gonna go through the full cast because I, no one cares about Isidro or Puck. They're both I I love Isidro and Puck a lot, but it's not like oh, what are your yeah. thoughts on Puck? Like what you know? I don't Serpico because you um, saying that about Serpico, I was just kind of curious. What do you think of him? Um, I, sometimes I want I want the manga to do more with him. Yeah, because I really liked those two. Yeah chapters on like his perspective and this and is kind of my story and too stuff. and then it feels like he kind of just becomes like oh the you know there's almost this part where there's like ah it's come to us being rivals and we have to fight each other now where i'm like why yeah <laughs> you see because i think if i'm not mistaken serpico is joao's favorite guy in in yeah. berserk and i like get it 
But for me, it felt like Serpico gets those two chapters and then kind of just becomes like Farnese's, like goes back to his role that he had before those two chapters. You yeah. Know? But now has the like, gets to do cool wind magic sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, the cool wind and magic. And is sometimes like, uh, we we respect each other, but also we still have that duel or whatever. It's also, you know? it's, it's so weird. Mira does put in the work to make it... Mira tries to put in the work to make you feel like Serpico and Guts are peers. Maybe not equals, but peers in the same way that, like, Guts and Griffith are peers. You know, combat-wise. Of like, ooh, you're just as good as fighting at me. Mira really tries to make you believe that. But it's just hard because Serpico comes in after, like, I've just seen Guts murdering guys... For chapters upon chapters upon chapters upon chapters. Yeah. And so, like, there's kind of nothing you can do to make me believe that Serpico is actually, like... Yeah. You know. Last, last one I'll ask you about. Um, uh, Farnese? Farnese? Farnese. 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 Farnese? Farnese? Yeah. I don't know. Um, when I read it, I say Farnese, but I don't know if that's mm. true. I feel like that's not correct. Mm. It's not what M says, I don't think. But I don't remember what M says. I think I think M I remember asking about M asking M about it one time because I feel like M is right whenever they say it, but I don't Um Uh I think that would be Farnese. Which is not what M, M says, but but Farnese, Farnese. Um, let's do the Japanese. To, this will like, yeah. Farnese, yeah. Okay, so, so I feel Farnese? like you could either do uh, Farnese or Farnese. Okay, Farnese. Yeah, Farnese. Um, probably is Farnese, but Farnese. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like her. Mm -hmm. The I feel like there was a a period where I found her kind of interesting, and then I sort of lost interest in her. And now that she's like starting to do some magic and like learning from Shirka more, mm. and it's like has moved from. I feel like it's like there was this period where she felt very like disempowered by everything that was happening. Yeah. Um, and there was the talk of like. You know, but God still like trusts you with Cat uh, Casca and stuff, uh -huh. and that being like an important thing. And some of that was like kind of interesting, but that I was also like kind of for how much the stuff like focuses in on guts and this like how am I going? You know, this like fear that I think a lot of people who this is why I, I say that like I think Connor would get something out of it because Connor sometimes talks about like there is a thing when you are like, I, I'm a cis man and I do identify with that, but there's so much like baggage around what that means. Um, mm. that like you have to like unpack. And especially when you were just like grow up in an environment where a lot of that stuff like is given to you as like the natural thing that you fall into. Like Connor has done a lot of work and it's, you know, why he's my homie. Mm -hmm. But I think like would get something out of like guts having this like, Oh, I'm this like 
you know, strong badass or whatever, but then I'm approaching everything in this way. And then it makes me afraid that I'm going to like hurt the people that I care about. Mm -hmm. And this like continues to be the thing about guts. Mm -hmm. Um, and Casca just kind of like was one, was probably my favorite character aside from Griffith. Uh huh. When like they're all together as just yeah. the band of the hawk. And then she just like kind of just becomes like this walking embodiment of like trauma and fear. Yeah. Uh and then having it like uh this other character that I thought was interesting become the person who then has to like be the caretaker to that. Hmm. Um was like I just want more going on. And I don't know if like she learns magic is necessarily the full thing, but at least it's like, there's more going on with her now. Mm -hmm. So this is, I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to say too much. Um, so I will just say, I think this is one of the things when, when berserk is finished now, I think, I will be curious about where I land on Farnese and Casca specifically because they, their characters go to a certain point and, and, and hit a sort of turning point in like the last three chapters that Miura did in his life. And now like the new team has to sort of pick up and like, and and those are the, Casca and Farnese are the two characters that I'm like, if you mishandle this, it's just kind of misogynist, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and if, if they end so up... far as like riding this line where, uh-huh. like, I need to get to the end before I have like a gut check feeling about it. Right. Yeah. Right. And like, I I think maybe even if you don't mishandle it, I think maybe like, here is woman who is walking embodiment of trauma and her mother figure, you know. Yeah. I think maybe that already is kind of misogynist and like, you know, if, if I get to the end of the new berserk stuff, which I'm probably not going to touch until it's done, probably when it is done, I will go read that. So I can sort of bracket it off in my mind. It's yeah. like, this is the post Mira. This is like, you know, a separate thing. Um, if I get to the end of that and I feel like I didn't like where those characters arcs ended up, I'll be, I'm going to be left wondering and like, well, if he had gotten to finish it his way, would this have gone a different direction? Would it not even, would it have gone a different direction, but would the execution have like maybe made it, you know, feel a little less icky? You know, I, I feel like those two characters are walking a real tight rope. Yeah. Which is also part of why I don't want to ask you about Casca Cause like, there's just, there's more, stuff that you don't know that I don't want to get into. So. Yeah. Um I do one thing I'll say. Um I'm excited for you to watch the anime cuz I feel like Casca in the Golden Age, I think I think in general, I think the anime does the Golden Age better than the manga does. If only because you don't have like what, what what's his fucking name, Wild or or Yeah. Like like there's I think the anime does the golden age better than the the manga does. Um, And I think part of that is like Casca, like getting voice acting and getting just like a couple more scenes here and there does a lot for her. Um, So I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to see that and see, you know, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's enough. That's enough Berserk talk. Again, I'm still enjoying it, but I just, I feel like I'm more critical of it than like everybody else that I know. It really is just like that you feel anything negative at all does make me think you hate Berserk, even though you're like, yeah, I like it. And I'm just like, how could you criticize? I I feel it in my heart. I mean, and the the biggest thing is just like the stuff that I'm going to latch onto and find interesting, which is like characters interacting uh, explorations of like trauma and how people try to move past it are things that I just get better from other things, including my favorite manga ever, Nana, an entire thing about like the relationships between people and the way that trauma holds you back from being able to like care for the people in your life uh, and like trying to move past it. But because it's not like caught up in all the fantasy metaphor stuff is actually like able to really get at the heart of just like, no, sometimes you're, you had a shitty mom and now like you have feelings that make it difficult for you to like care for the person that you love about mm-hmm. you love the most in your life. And the you th- just like have to work through that as a human being. The thing that for me, I find berserk so moving because I think, I think it is able to do that stuff yeah. and also be a fantasy novel and also be like seinen manga, just about like killing dudes and also be, and also be like, I, yeah, I, Part of the thing that works for me so well about Berserk is all of the things that it's able to do at once. And it sounds like for you, you're interested in like two of the eight things it does. And so like there's just like a ceiling on it for you, maybe. Yeah. You know? And it and it means that there are often times where I'm like oh, you were going somewhere really interesting with these characters, and now I just get, like, an entire volume that's, like, all about you just trying to kill these monsters or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Mm. And I'm just like, thankfully, a lot of the, the fight scenes do not have dialogue, and I flip through them pretty fast. <laughs> now imagine... Imagine if you were reading this serial, and so you just had to wait yeah, for... Yeah, that's the... So that's the other thing with the length of it. I'm just like... If I was reading this week by week, I'd be like, Berserk fucking sucks. You, I would thing, hate it. You wouldn't be reading it week by week because every six months I'd be like, you're still on this fucking boat. Oh my God. You've been on this boat for three fucking years. Yeah, Get no. off the fucking boat. <laughs> I would lose my fucking mind. Again, it just, I, one of the biggest things I think would improve it is just longer chapters hmm. so that chapters can just actually be about like a specific thing really explore it for a little bit uh-huh. um and then maybe some of the fights can get condensed down into one or two chapters instead of having to be an entire goddamn volume <laughs> i i feel so blessed that i came to berserk when i did because truly i think if i were a serial berserk reader i would have never liked berserk yeah cuz i would have been like why are we it just, still on it this just seems bad mode? and and when i read through manga even if i'm reading the volume i'm still always like hyper aware of of i just think about how stuff gets broken up in, into chapters mm. it's like a way that i think about media how are they like dividing up the story and telling me to you know even if as i marathoning gundam i will still try to think about individual episodes and what's happening in that episode and is there like some sort of thing that this episode is about um you know, albums, like thinking about, like, I, I'm a person who will listen through an entire album, but I also think about, like, what each song is. It's just how I process media. 
And so I'm also reading through Berserk and then just having the thing of being like, literally nothing happened that entire chapter. Uh-huh. Beyond, like, you just animated some, like, Guts cutting apart a bunch of trolls or something. And I'm like, I just don't care that much about Guts cutting apart a bunch of trolls for it to be an entire chapter. And you need to give me, like, character work in there. That's a, That's another thing is that, like, that doesn't, like... And I can just keep reading more chapters, so it's not, like, you know, ruining it the way that it would be if I was reading it serially, as it was, like, coming out, you know. That's but just... it's still just, it's still just, like, a thing that's in my head about, like, how can this be, the you know, a five-star manga if this is, like, how it's divvying up and, like, portioning up its story. And for, for me, with with TV, um, that is a thing I think about a lot, um, for some reason... Not even, not even all comics, because I think like a lot of like Western comics, superhero comics, I do think about issues more, maybe because I'm a little more plugged into, I have read super comic, superhero comics in a serial way in my life. I have read, you know, image comics in a serial way at points in my life. So maybe I'm a little more plugged into that. And also just like, you know, I follow enough like comics creators that you know that I'm a little more attuned to that whereas when I read manga that is just not something that enters, enters my perception in any way other than I get to the end of the chapter it's getting late I'm done for the night like the chapters to me truly are just like oh that's a stopping point for today but I'll mm. read like 20 chapters and that's like one chapter in my head you know it doesn't it yeah. doesn't enter my perception like that I wonder if this is also I wonder I don't know you're you've been borrowing the big leather bound ones from the library. I wonder if if I were reading physically, if that is something that would enter my perception in that way. Whereas yeah, because I, mean, I had it I've on the tablet, I've also read a fair amount. Ta- like when I was traveling, I was reading it on the tablet. Okay, so. okay. Well, then, yeah, because yeah. I, I didn't want to carry heavy fucking books. Yeah, that makes I, sense. We didn't do around the long fire because I didn't want to take that fucking book to Canada. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's a big book. Well, and also anybody would see it and be like, "Why is she a Nazi?" Yeah. <laughs> It does. It is just like a bizarrely Nazi-looking book. Um, talking about Hamskringle, by the way, for people who don't listen to Around the Long Fire. I I caught up on Around the Long Fire. I was four episodes behind. Pretty fucking good podcast, I must say. Yeah. I just you and M have such a good dynamic on that show. It really is such a treat to listen to it. Um, also, just because I am friends with you both, just like shouting at the. Uh, at the phone, like, oh fuck you, you're wrong about that or whatever. I can't, I can't yeah. think of anything specific right this minute, but um, I also found out that our totally legal we you set up the like seed box thing, mm-hmm. and we totally legally put stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I just burned like all of my DV, like my victory DVDs. Uh-huh. Uh, I ripped them all. Your Blu-rays, to, yeah, my Blu-rays. Um, so everything was legal, but I found out that it did stream to my tablet. In Canada. Mm. So <clears throat> I finished uh, Victory. That was the other You don't have any, but... any problems streaming Victory? No. Okay. Because I've been having problems. I mentioned this to you. I've yeah. been having problems streaming Turn A. And I wonder if maybe we just need to find <laughs> a like, you know, 720p torrent of Turn A or something instead. Bec- or, mean, or if I maybe. I'm, I will rip the my Turn A Blu-rays. Or maybe I just need to keep. Turn A on my laptop instead because I wasn't having any problems when it was on the laptop. So, regardless, we can figure that out some other day. Let's talk about Fire Walk With Me. 
It's a good movie. It's a good movie, I should say. If you're new to ominous stairwells, from this moment onward, we will be spoiling at our leisure any other David Lynch movie. If I feel so inclined, I'll tell you the end of Mulholland Drive or Wild at Heart. I don't know that those will come up, but they might. Who knows? And You know know what? Hmm. I think I like Wild at Heart more than Firewalk with me. I thought you might say that. We'll get back to that. Um, Because the thought crossed my mind, too. I I don't know that I'm there, but the thought crossed my mind. Uh, Other thing important... All Twin Peaks spoilers through the end of season three are on the table. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, that shit might be relevant because there's like lines from this movie being quoted in like episode 17 of The Return. So, like, I don't know how much we're going to bring those up, but if you do not want to be spoiled on The Return, like, Turn this podcast off right now. Yeah, because we'll say things like and and <laughs> and also. We're gonna put an actual beat today. <laughs> Stupid joke. Stupid joke. Stupid joke. <laughs> Stupid joke. All right, you're when turning the your podcast off. See this as. <laughs> Shout out to Cam's great tweets. <laughs> Shout out to Cam. Yeah. Um, go pre-order the book. Yeah, go pre-order Matchmaker. All right, now turn the podcast off. Yeah. If you don't want to be... If you want to... You know what? <laughs> don't turn the podcast off. Let yourself be spoiled on Twin Peaks. <laughs> don't do that. You should... Anyway. So, may... you know what? You know what? Before we get to any of that... Why do you think you might like Wild Hood of Heart better than this movie? Um, because I think I maybe, I think maybe I can see where you're coming from. It's just like weirdly stuck with me. Uh huh. the The thing is, this is like getting into just talking about uh, Firewalk with me for me. But like Firewalk with me is an incredible movie, but it also lives in my head in the same space as like Adolescence of Utena is an incredible movie, which is that like the project of doing a movie that's based on a TV show, I think is just like a difficult project. And mm-hmm. usually the solution that people will go to is kind of like do the TV show, but like bigger, mm-hmm. you know, it's and- like, and you know, you, cause you'll have like the best Star Trek movies are kind of like a, an episode of a Star Trek mm-hmm. show, but like, blown out and like has the higher budget and they're like able to you know Mm -hmm. um have the story be like a little bit bigger than it normally Uh would be and everything uh but like to me none of the good star trek movies are ones that are like going to be some sort of like uh final statement on star trek right right you know so many anime movies that are like based off of a series are like even non-canon or something, and it's like, yeah, you just like see the two guys fight. That yeah, are cool. And we just like animated a cool fight with them or whatever. Like you the know? the two best Star Trek movies are, you know, we uh, the motion picture, which is just like is just a long episode of the show, and then uh, Wrath of Khan, which is a follow up to an episode of the show. You know, 
Yeah. Like, those are the two best Star Trek movies. Yeah. But, like, Adolescence of Utena and also uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me are things that are, like, continuing what the show is, but also, like, doing something new, but the- also engaging with what the show is. Firewalk with me is, like, in Adolescence of Utena, I think are, like, fundamentally, like, transformative of what the work is. Yeah. Like, you can't... More so Firewalk With Me. You cannot then watch Twin Peaks again without Firewalk With Me being, like, ever-present in your mind. You know? Yeah. Firewalk With Me takes those two seasons of television and, like, you know transforms them you know i don't i don't want to belabor the point by finding a different word for it anyway um and and the 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 reason that fire walk with me is one of the best movies ever is that like is cheryl lee yeah like like let's just let's just start there like this is david lynch gets a lot of credit for this movie you know, rightly so. He does really incredible things um, with what this movie is, how this movie works. Um, you know, getting the performance from Cheryl Lee that he does. But at the end of the day, the movie, this movie begins and ends with Cheryl Lee to me. And like, like, it, she just gives one of the best performances that's ever been put to screen. And like, you know, David brings some of that out of her and and the script like gives her the material to work with to get there but like the movie works because of her and if she doesn't it like if she can't like dig down into like the the most terrible like horrifying things that can happen to a human being like you know like the the movie doesn't work and um you know I just want to like say to frame the whole conversation that this is you know, this is a Cheryl Lee movie more than a David Lynch movie to me in a big way. Yeah. <clears throat> but the, so the thing with me, like you said, like this is one of the best movies ever. And the part that like, I guess the like stumble point for me is like, as a movie in and of itself, it's mm-hmm. a great movie. Uh huh. But <clears throat> in the same way that if you go back and watch season one and season two, of Twin Peaks, it is transformed by watching this movie. Mm-hmm. This movie also, like, watching it in isolation rather than having seen yeah. Twin Peaks season one and season two. Yeah. <laughs> it is like, and, and this is true of Adolescence of Utena as well. <clears throat> like, I feel like there's a certain amount in which you come in and you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Because uh, we, we both, I think this happened with Luke, maybe. Um, yeah. And there there are other people I've known who, you know, hear through the grapevine or from Wikipedia or whatever, oh, Fire Walk With Me is a prequel to Twin Peaks and end up watching that first somehow. And it's like, this movie doesn't function without Twin Peaks, you know? Yeah. Like, and so that's the thing that makes it hard for me to then, like, I I just have to think about those sorts of movies in a different space than, like, movies generally, mm-hmm. because this is a movie that that has to engage with like television as an art form uh-huh. that has to like engage with like the things that make television unique and different to me of like when I watch fire walk with me, it is not the same 
experience of seeing actors portraying characters on on screen because now I see it and I'm like, oh, that's like even you you know will briefly see like Jack Nance or something. I don't even remember if Jack Nance is in this. I believe he is in the missing pieces. Okay. Yeah, Which we did not actually in this. We we did not watch the missing pieces this time. I think we were planning on an episode where we do miscellaneous David Lynch things where the missing pieces we'll circle back to it. Because I yeah. I've seen the David Bowie parts of the missing pieces. I have not seen anything else. So Yeah. But like every single character who you see in this, for the most part. I'll have caveats here, but you have pre-existing relationships with. Mm -hmm. There are some cases where you don't quite accept like the whole first part of it. You're in like bizarro, uh, you know, nega Twin Peaks where like yeah. everything is like uh, fucked up instead of happy. Well, the the the, the ex and, but then you see like the lady working at the diner, and you're like, oh, this is like you know nega Norma. Mm -hmm. Right, like yeah. you still have a pre-existing relationship with her as a, a character you've never met before, because she's still engaging with like Norma as an idea that exists in your head because you watch Twin Peaks. The 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 movie opens on TV static. The axe comes down through the TV, and then we spend twenty to thirty minutes with like characters who seem familiar in a way that TV, like that is the strength of TV, is developing familiarity with characters. Um, and, and like, now this movie is going to come along, the axe comes through the TV, and, you know, the familiarity that we once felt is ripped away from us as we were introduced to Chet Desmond and Tuper and... <laughs> I was gonna do the thing of how it's really <laughs> fucked up that they kill, uh, <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin's character off at the end of season one and then replace him with Keith or, uh, Kiefer Sutherland playing his brother... Uh, Agent male Tooper. Yeah, no, well, is Cooper, but gets the nickname in the fandom of Tooper. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Because he's Cooper, too. Yeah. So he's Tooper. Uh-huh. Uh, Dave Cooper is his name. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dumb bit where we, like, tried to gaslight Molly about this. <laughs> in a way where she knew we were doing it, but we still... I, like... Uh, edit it. I didn't edit Wikipedia. I edited like the, you know, you can just Control go to J or whatever. And, yeah, you can do the little edit stuff with what you're viewing HTML. Yeah. Uh, but I edited Wikipedia to put that in. Keith is. It was also just very funny to, to like. <laughs> Tell Molly weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland shows up in Twin Peaks at a certain point, and her just be like, "No, oh, they're just fucking with me." And then much later, <laughs> oh wait, he is actually there. <laughs> anyway, now he's constantly. Whenever I see him, we saw we saw him in Firewalk with me, and I was just like, "That's stupid." <laughs> um. <clears throat> um. So yeah, and like, okay, so to like, so like, bring it back to Wild at Heart. Like, Wild at Heart is, you know, the things that the the places that Cheryl Lee is asked to go, um, in in Fire Walk with Me. Like, Wild at Heart is concerned with similar, you know, similar themes, similar subject matter. Not not you know. Not, like, overlapping, but, like, similar. Like, Laura Dern is asked to go to similarly dark places, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and also has like you know Nicolas Cage's performance to bounce off of in a way that like this is so much once Cheryl Lee enters the movie this is so much the Cheryl Lee show you know like this is so centered on her um that like I almost was like yeah maybe I maybe well hearts a little better because there is this sort of dynamic there is the sort of like um you do I mean it's in a very different vibe but you do get it a little bit with Ray Wise cuz Ray Wise is also yeah. fucking incredible in this movie I, okay so, so we're not going to talk we're not going to talk about Judy <laughs> Um, we're not going to talk too much about like season two here. Um, just because I, so the day we watched Firewalk with me, I watched episodes four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Um, and you did not do these things, yeah. you know, I had work and, um, catching up with podcasts cause I was on vacation and like Ray Wise is just so good, dude. Yeah. Like that. That stretch of episodes is so good. And then um, I when you get back to watching season two, we should we should break down episode. We should break down episode seven and episode nine in particular, because I feel like so much gets set up with episode seven. That is like the last David Lynch directed one until the end of season two. So much gets set up with episode seven and Ray Wise like delivers with episode seven and episode eight. And then it's not that he doesn't deliver with episode nine, but I feel like episode nine is such a like they they fumble it they fumble it a lot harder than I ever remembered them doing, you know? And maybe it's because the last time I watched episode nine of season two, I hadn't seen Firewalk with me. Um But now that I have, I I really like I really feel like um they, they botch it, and the, the the thing I wanted to say about Ray Wise in that episode is that he's asked to go so over the top. He's screaming, he's crying, there's sprinklers coming down on him, he's throwing things, he's Bob, he's Leland, he's both, he's neither. Like, he's asked to go places that I just don't work for me. And then to bring it back to this movie, where it's like, oh my god, Ray Wise is like one of the best actors who's ever yeah the the things that he does in this movie and like that he can you know because we've we've watched interviews with him where he's spoken about like you know as a father of a of a young daughter it was hard for him to play leland it was hard to inhabit a person who would do these things to his own daughter that was a difficult thing for him and for him to 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 get to the place that he does in this movie i thought you always knew it was me like to 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 get to the place that he can say that line at the end of the movie is just like it's dark <laughs> and it's hard to talk about and it's it's painful and it's uh, he's so good he's so good yeah <laughs> also the i mean people know this but the hand washing scene is like genuinely one of the most upsetting scenes it committed sucks. to sucks it sucks the first time i watched this movie when we got to the the hand washing thing I had to pause the movie. I like got up, got up and like paced around my apartment and had a little cry. Like <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. <sighs> um, we've never summarized it. We're not going to summarize this fucking movie. I'm not. It's the last seven days of Laura Palmer. Also, Chet Desmond does some stuff there. I summarized the movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> David Bowie shows up with a bad Southern accent. We're not and, going to talk about and, Judy. And walks around uh, Cooper, but only Cooper in the video, not actual Cooper. Yeah, so, so, so something about the David Bowie scene. I almost said David Lynch scene. But it, I guess it's also a David Lynch scene. Yeah. <laughs> She's my mother's sister's girl. I'm do- I'm doing the hand motion, guys. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, um, the thing about the David Bowie scene is that because I had seen those bits from the missing pieces, that had sort of like entered my mind a little bit. And the the thing that actually happens there is that like the the thing. Where, where where Cooper shows up in the security camera, even though he's not standing in front of the camera, and then Bowie comes in and says, like, three lines, and the movie dissolves into, like, the, that is, like, super imposed over, like, weird stuff is happening above the convenience store and the Black Lodge, and green is the color of the Formica table, and... yeah. Uh, idle thumbs furiously scribbling <laughs> notes that will never come to fruition. Well, so, so so the thing that I was so interesting to me about that scene was that Firewalk with Me is the movie that it is because Cheryl Lee and David Lynch are able to get you to sort of like, hey. Hey, stop trying to decode this. Stop trying to like make make everything make sense. Slot all the pieces into place. Um and just follow this emotional journey, you know? Like yeah. the 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 emotions of it are going to carry you through to the meaning of the movie more than, you know, the the puzzle box element of it. And the the David Bowie scene really hit for me because because it made those gears turn in my mind where I was like, what is the green? What are other places we've seen green in this movie? Oh, the green of the Formica table is just like the green of the ring. Oh, interesting. I could feel that sort of like, let me decode Twin Peaks. Let me like, you know, oh, there's like a seven here and there's a six and then there's like a sequence of numbers there. Oh, I'm, if only I could fi- solve the numerology, I would understand Twin Peaks. And I, it's, it's so, it's so amazing that, that Lynch is able to throw that red herring out for you. And it's so, and I think a testament to the movie that like so many people seize on those red herrings and are like, I will, I will decode Twin Peaks, um, and, and miss, miss the point of, you know, what the movie's actually about, which is the movie is about Laura, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just talking a lot because I love yeah. this movie a lot. And the more I'm talking, the more I just am like, I can feel like the the my my enthusiasm for the movie that maybe wasn't there in the moment of watching. I can I can feel it bubbling up in me. I I think this movie is really special. Um, um, one thing that I was thinking watching it this time because the first time I watched this stuff, I I was not like seeing the way internet people talk about Twin Peaks at all. Mm -hmm. I was kind of experiencing it on my own with, like, some other friends who enjoy Twin Peaks, Uh you know? Um, This is the first time where I, like, really had, like, the way that people try to... Because also, I feel like the return 
further brings this out with a certain group of fans. Uh-huh. Um, where I have also just encountered it more through that. Um, I mean, the return brings <clears throat> this element out of me, you know, and I'm here yeah. actively saying I think it's not a fun way to watch Twin Peaks. I don't think it's like a productive way to watch Twin Peaks. And I still watch the return and I think, oh, if I could just p- piece together what these numbers mean, you know. Yeah. Um, but so the, the, one of the things that I've seen talked about is like the stuff around the angels and it specifically then tying into like, oh, the stuff here is about like, uh, you know, Bob wants to possess Laura. And so then she like lets herself die, uh, in order to like, you know, best Bob or whatever. And all that stuff I like. I, and it, a lot of it is coming from the like angel imagery mm-hmm. is like a thing people point to for this like reading. And I think it's like a fucking terrible reading. Um, but I was like watching that thinking specifically about like what's going on with the angel stuff for me in this. Um, and I don't know how you felt about it, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff about like the angel disappearing from the picture and things mm-hmm. like that. That I think is like pointing towards this, like, um, loss of like hope and faith that like Laura has in anything. Um, and this, the specific thing at the end with like seeing the angel to me seems to be like in these like final moments where she is, I don't think she's like having a choice in whether or not she's going to die there. Mm -hmm. The movie really does not frame it that way, Mm. but rather like having this, um, whether it's like, actually true or correct or not in that moment uh in a like slightly almost suicidal way recognizing that like at least like all the stuff that she has been going through is going to be over Mm -hmm. but then it's also becoming symbolically mixed with and what's going to happen is here is all of this like tragedy uh here is this like um abused girl who is like seeking help and nobody is giving it to her. And what's going to happen after her death is that she's going to be like held up as an angelic figure and not like any actual understanding of everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. You're going to get her as the beautiful beauty queen wrapped in plastic and everyone talking about, Oh, Laura Mm -hmm. was so great until slowly over the course of, you know, the show, you find out more and more about how much, trouble she was going through and how much like people weren't helping. And I mean, first episode you get people yelling about like, you know, Laura was, you know, what are you all talking about? Like Laura was trying to get help or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like some of that angel imagery is like this mix together of like her uh, having it at least some moment of relief in that, like at least it's over, even if it's like in a very tragic way. Mm hmm. With also, and then this is what she's going to become for so many people in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Is just the like, in the way that this just happens with. Again, I think I've told the story on the podcast about like going to the town where I went to high school, where thankfully my parents don't live anymore, so I don't even have to go there anymore. But I was at like a, it was like a brewery there, and so I was going and getting some beer while I was in town. And there was like a thing about like this person who just like bullied me and called me a faggot and stuff all the time and it like died in a car crash and it was like accepting donations and it was all about like mm-hmm. what a great kid he was and i was like he was not 
was yeah. like fucking awful to everybody. Yeah. So, but everybody, yeah. you know, eulogizes the dub like that. So. Yeah. Um, it was, it, it was, you know, um, I associate so strongly with the return, um, this theme of forgetfulness. And I think like, like the people forgetting Laura, people moving on from Laura, people, um, um, and I associate that so strongly with the return and it was interesting. I feel like that is a theme that probably pops up in seasons one and two. Um, but I feel like, um, especially comes through here. Um, you know, in Laura's own life, you know, there is a sort of like denial of what is happening to her. Um, you can, you can take Bob to a pure metaphorical place and, and, and deliteralize Bob entirely to where he is not the, you know, this metaphysical force that was sent by Judy from blah, blah, episode eight, blah, 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 you know, New Mexico. Yeah. Um, you, you can strip all that out of it. And this is a, a young woman who has been sexually like, um, uh, abused by her father for years. And she sees that man like go about town being this, you know, up, you know, member of the community. He's just like a good upright. He's a good American father, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and she can't see her dad in that way. And so, you know, um, Bob but... is like this, you know, denial of what is happening in some way or not yeah. what is happening, but who is culpable, you know? Yeah. Um, in the same way that we talk about like Leland potentially compartmentalizing stuff as Bob. Mm-hmm. There's also from the like Laura Palmer side, a like compartmentalization of here's the like father who I'm supposed to like love and trust. Then here's the person who like comes into my room at night and abuses me. Uh huh. And like, I am like compartmentalizing those as different people as well. Yeah. And, um, because otherwise the... how do I like survive? And and part of the reason that the hand washing scene is so, um, harrowing is, is the, the slow, that is like the first moment where Laura starts to suspect, not starts to suspect in some ways in that scene, she knows, she knows what she has seen, but this is like one of the first times that she can maybe, maybe connect those two people in her mind, you know? Yeah. Um, and it is such like a horrifying thing that she has to shy away from it still for another, you know, however, 45 minutes of the movie or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and th- this moment of like, and it is the thing that people who have like grown up with childhood trauma, uh, would have some, you know, in a more joking way, identification with, which is sometimes you just like joke about a thing about when you were a kid and then someone responds to you. I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that that happened to you. And you're like, Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, something bad happened to me. And I just like, didn't think about it that way. Uh-huh. And it also feels like this is the kind of thing that can kind of happen. But what he's saying is just like, Oh, you didn't wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Uh-huh. We're not going to eat until you wash your hands. Um, and the whole thing starts with like her coming in and him immediately being like, sit down, sit yes. down. Yes. You know, specifically telling her to like 
before you do anything else, sit down. If oh, she you had, didn't wash your hands. If she had said in that moment, oh, let me wash my hands first, he'd be like, or you should listen to your father and come sit down. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, uh, and just this, like, realization of, like, just the household that she is in, even in this, like, normal state of having a father, is abusive. Uh-huh. Um, um, that he is, like, you know, you, you, she doesn't say it here, but you already get the, like, uh, in the performance, the, like, what is going on in this house sort mm-hmm. of thing from, um, What's what's the mom's Grace Zabriskie. Yeah, Grace Zabriskie. Uh, what's Sarah? Sarah. Sarah Homer. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the way that she is like kind of tense while the stuff is happening to you. Um It's so it's so and this is this is gonna set up all of the things that I find so compelling about Sarah is the best part of the return for me. Like Sarah like Yeah. Sarah is the most moving, most like there's a there's a mystery about what is going on with Sarah Palmer in the return that I find electric and and in um in Twin Peaks season 1 and 2 she is a character who is given over to hysterics in in a lot of ways um and I and I that is a loaded term and I'm trying to use it in this loaded way you know I think th- that is a character who is just meant to express this over the top sorrow grief and like it's pouring out of her at every moment yeah and then this is this is um this is a movie that sort of like raises these questions about like she is a victim here you know like we see leland drugging her we see um and and we see this in season two as well like like her not just her being drugged but like her crawling on the floor and seeing that white horse and like she is a victim she is as much enmeshed in this abuse but also hand in hand in that is this question of like when when he's like having her drink the milk or whatever there's a certain amount to which like her reaction and his like insistence that she drink all of it and stuff is suggesting and like knowledge on her part that you know how much can she refuse in this moment Mm-hmm. But that she's aware that that's happening to her, uh-huh. and that something's going to happen to Laura as well. Yes, and and in in the hand washing scene, the way the the camera Leland and Laura leave the scene, and the camera stays on Sarah for a moment, and she lights a cigarette, and she's like coping with like, I'm watching my daughter be hurt by this man, you know, um, and also should she be doing something? Like she should should she be interceding? She yeah, she raised her voice and said, "Leland, stop." Should she be doing something more? Can she be doing something more? What you know, like, um, yeah. and this is the how much in doing something more is she also endangering herself? Should she be still endangering herself to protect her daughter? Like, yeah, and those are the questions that are going to sit with Sarah Palmer for the next twenty five years, and yeah. you know she's going to eat some dude's face about it eventually. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also like in this movie moments of like, you also get in the way that you can kind of see that happening in Sarah Palmer, that there's then Laura being like, you know, I think it's to James being like, no, actually, like if you are close to me, then he might hurt you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and her also having to do this, like 
in some ways, like to protect you, I must isolate you yeah. from me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause, cause, cause Leland is so like possessive of like, he doesn't want Bobby around. He doesn't want James around. Um, um, and like, you know, Laura is like going out and like having sex with a bunch of guys thing is an outgrowth of like, you know, my father wants to own my sexuality, wants to own me, wants to possess me, wants, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and sort of like, what is the thing that she can do to rebel against that? And it is sort of to not be, um, the person that her dad wants her to be. You yeah. Know, what is you know, the time that she can find for herself, you know? Um, and that doesn't take her to great places, you know, that takes her to like one eyed Jack's and the roadhouse and, um, you know, uh, and like finding, you know, it's so interesting. She ends up, she needs to, maybe not needs to, she almost wants to possess Donna in the same way of like, no, Donna, you need to go be pure and innocent and not like me. You know, I need you to be my best friend. And so you have to not be touched by all of this stuff, you yeah. know, um, it's a it's a real bummer that they can't. Yeah, what is this her is name? what I was about to. I was just looking that up. So Moira Kelly is the uh, recast for Donna. Um, and I don't want to like throw shade on on Moira. I think mm. she is doing a fine job acting. Like she's a good actress in this. I I genuinely I can't get like a good. I cannot m- make heads or tails of her performance. If it's a good performance, if it's a bad performance, if it's middle of the road, because simply she is not Lara Flynn Boyle, and yeah. like, like Boyle and and Lee have like chemistry yeah. that is one just right there at the beginning, and two built up over the course of Lee's performance as Maddie. You know, those yeah. two characters have history and chemistry. And those two actors have like history and chemistry that comes into the movie with it. And you can't, I, I really can't tell you anything about um, this Moira Kelly's performance as Donna because she is not Donna to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, she's always like stuck in this catch 22 of, I think some of the parts where I feel like she's acting the best to me, I'm like, well, that's not Donna. Mm hmm. But I feel like she's actually acting well in those moments. And sometimes the parts where she's like trying to do, uh, you know, Lara Flynn Doyle. Mm. Doyle? Okay. Is it? I think it was Boyle. 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 I don't know. I, you looked it up and then right after you looked it up after three days, I finally remembered her name. Boyle. Boyle. Okay. Um, we spent the entire movie trying trying to remember, remember. couldn't do it. Then suddenly on the podcast, I had it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was specifically looking at, at Moira Flynn when I was looking at that. So. Mm. But, um, you know, the moments where she is like trying to do an impersonation mm-hmm. of another, uh, actress doing this role are the parts where it's like, that's just an, a, an impossible task that you're being given. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's like very hard to, I think have to come in and, and play a, a character yeah. like that. Yeah. And also like, you know, um 
I so so it, it especially because she she's an important character in this mm-hmm. as well. It's not like she like shows up at school yeah. for a scene or two. She's like she's more of a character in this than James is, which is like maybe not the choice I would have made as the if I had to recast Donna, I probably would have just found a way to minimize her role, you know? Yeah. I don't think you can eliminate it, but I think I probably would have just, like, if I were in those shoes, I would be like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, you're only gonna be here, like, two or three times, you know? Yeah. And I I would have brought Bobby and James into it more. But then also, does that skew the movie to entirely being about yeah, um, Laura's relationships with men does that bring a different element? I don't know. Yeah, um, it is just a uh, a thing about this movie that is like every time I watch it, I'm like, ah, oh, this like if they had just gotten her back, then this movie would be so much better. I, I, in my, I, and in my mind. and I still rated it like five stars, but you know, um, I want to I want to get into something, and I don't. I want to talk about David Lynch as like a person and as a figure for a moment, because that figures into why Laura Flynn Boyle is not in this movie. Laura Flynn Boyle. Um, um, and I don't, I don't want to say like, well, I read David Lynch's biography and so I know everything about the person. I have a complete 100% understanding, but like we've done a lot of research into, I've done, some research into David Lynch um, as a, you know, person um, as part of this podcast. And like my impression of him is he, he makes all these movies that are about women and women's suffering and women's sexuality and the, the suffering that is inflicted upon women societally because of their sexuality. Like that is a recurrent theme throughout his work. Also, um, I find just from like the biography, just from like certain things, I sometimes find his attitude toward women in his life questionable. You know, he's, he's been married many times. Often the, the, the women's, the women that he is getting married to are people who worked under him in some capacity or worked with him in some capacity. Um, and, you know, um, it is no secret that he gets around. <laughs> um, uh, and, and you know, Lara Flynn Boyle um, does not return for the return either. Um, and she does not have a lot of positive things to say about her experience working on Twin Peaks. And a lot of the negative stuff that she has to say about that does seem to be centered on, like, David Lynch's treatment of her and or other women on set. Um and so, like, all this to say, I don't want anybody to hear that conversation about not getting her back. And, you know, there's a reason they don't get her back. Yeah. And it sounds like it is. She did not like David Lynch. She did not like working with David Lynch. Also, I hold in my head that, like, you know, like, Laura Dern and Cheryl Lee and Sherilyn Fenn and all sorts of other women have continued to work with David Lynch over a course of decades. Um, and, you know have only ever said positive things about him so you know i'm not saying oh he's definitely a predator and he or blah blah, yeah. blah you know 
But also the lots of other women are fine with him is not like, and so, you know. And so what, how he treated this one woman is totally acceptable and she's overreacting. You know, yeah. I want to hold both things in my head. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, I wanted to get back to the movie. Um, I th- um, I have so many like movie making formalist thoughts about this movie, but I also don't have like I don't have a place to take them. I was so interested this time through the movie in thinking about like there's so many spotlights and strobe lights and like flashlights that light this movie, and I and with electricity being like a recurrent thing i'm like is there something happening there is the the artificiality the the clear artificiality of the lighting um tying in with the theme somehow and like almost certainly yes i can't make the connection in my head i can't bring that into a good point on a podcast and also we're two hours in and both of us are just kind of sleepy and so yeah maybe we want to land the plane on this bad boy yeah i don't know um, what do what do we think of the stairs in Fire Walk with Me? Uh, I mean they're the fucked up fucking stairs. Yes, but we I fucking hate those stairs. We've been so harsh on suburban home stairs throughout this podcast. If ever, it's because there's the er suburban home fucked up stairs and it's Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, they're the fucking stairs from Twin Peaks. They're fucking incredible. Because so often the suburban home stairs in a movie are just, like, there in Mm -hmm. a suburban home and people walk up them. Mm -hmm. These stairs are, like, the most terrifying stairs in the entire world. Um, And being able to, like, it's specifically using the, like, familiarity of the suburban home stairs to do that. Mm -hmm. To, like, make those menacing. But there's still, like, work being done to, like, make the fan terrifying. Mm-hmm. And the just, like, every time people go up those stairs, you just have a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what makes it an S. Mm-hmm. It's not that the stairs just look good. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's work is being done to, like, imbue these stairs with so much meaning and, like, uh-huh. terror. Uh-huh. So It's interesting we never get a shot that sort of connects those stairs to Laura's room. There's never, like, I guess, like, you see her leave her room and come out onto the stairs, but there's no, those are separate spaces in the movie, you know? There are the stairs, there's Laura's room. Those two don't overlap in a big way, which is yeah. interesting. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have so much more to say about, like, all the Black Lodge stuff in this movie and and how this movie feeds into how I feel about Cooper and and the the incredible scene where she goes through the painting and then Annie's in the bed and the, you know, guiding her through in the, you know, black space. And, oh, there's the bit where, like, Leland has the same, like, black lipstick, white face makeup that she had earlier in the movie. We're getting sleepy, you know? And I yeah. feel like we hit all the most important stuff um, I think Fire Walk With Me is fucking incredible. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I think they, Annie, I mean, there's other stuff with, like, the Cooper and mm-hmm. uh, David Bowie and everything as well. But there is, like, a certain way in which 
in, in a smart way, not in just like a meta blah, blah, blah way. But it's like specifically like this is also a sequel to Twin Peaks. Mm hmm. There's stuff in this that is a sequel to Twin Peaks because what is happening here is like breaking out of time. Yes. Um, so the the thing that I want to say, and I guess we can sort of develop these thoughts as we watch season two and season three. Um, uh, but the thing I want to say here, there is a fandom tendency to sort of read certain parts of Twin Peaks as like, coming from on high you know there is a way that people want to read what annie says the good cooper is in the lodge and he can't get out people want to read that as like true like fundamentally down in the bones of twin peaks that the good cooper is in there and i think maybe the thing that is interesting to me in here and throughout season three and all sorts of things is um, I think those are character perspectives. I think that Annie thinks the good Cooper is in the Black Lodge. Um, there are certain characters who would describe this character as the good Cooper. I'm not sure I would describe this person as the good Cooper. I would describe yeah. him as Cooper. <laughs> in the same way that in this moment there is a, a bifurcation happening in the way that like uh, Leland and Laura are talking about like Leland, daddy mm -hmm. and Bob. Yeah. Yeah. But also the hand washing scene is they're the same person. Yeah. And I think that's what's also I, because we've talked a lot about the hand washing scene. People talk about it all the time. The moment where uh, Leland comes in and, like, apologizes, but also in this, like, uh -huh. that's also an intense scene yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, yeah, I think, and I think that so much of what's at the core of season three to me is that, like, you know, there is a desire to cleanly split Oh, there's Bob Cooper, Mr. C, and and Dougie, and Good Cooper. And those are, like, clean splits. And the place that, like, season three ends up at is, like, these are all facets of one person. But, like, one of them is not more Cooper than the others. Or just because this is the Good Cooper does not make him... Does not make Mr. C less a part of Cooper in some way. Um... And I, I think part of the way that I get to that reading is because this movie does not let Leland off the hook in any way. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting. This movie does not let Leland off the hook coming off of season two, episode nine, um, where the characters, Briggs and Cooper and Gordon Cole and... Um, Albert and Harry Truman, they want to let Leland off the hook. They want to say that, you know, Bob is this demon. They want to absolve Leland of this. And for then this movie to come and say, that's not, you know, that those characters might have thought that in that moment. That is not true. You know, that is not yeah. like, you know, 
Just because those characters said that doesn't mean that's true, you know? Um, yeah. They were expressing their point of view. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so next time. So I, I had a thought. Uh-huh. This is before I looked at the actual order that we had things. Uh-huh. But I want us to, like, try and have, like, a few, you know, planned out. Mm-hmm. But also... I don't want it to be, we planned it out and then we see what's next. And we're like, uh, I don't really want to do like a kind of dry documentary next mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do we get that flexibility? And so I wanted to do like the gut check in the moment when we're recording of like, are we excited for the one that we say we're going to do next? Or do we want to do a different one that we've already picked? Are we more excited about that? And I thought about that before I looked at it and saw that what we were going to do next is the devils. And I'm pumped for that one. So. Okay. Okay. I don't, I don't literally all I know about the devils is that, um, one time I got high and laughed too much at British accents in a Ken Russell movie and I couldn't finish it. Could, couldn't finish it as strong. Couldn't get past the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and two, I know that M likes this movie. So we'll do the devils next time. We can reassess Land Without Bread and calling Mr. Smith the time after that because I think maybe they're gonna uh, get 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 a rain check on those two. But we'll yeah. we'll reassess that. And I figure if we just like have the gut check, like, hey, I don't want to watch that next. We'll just like you know plop it to the bottom of what we currently have and move them up, and then we can like, like kind of yeah yeah yeah. But yeah, I didn't want to have we just plan out a bunch of stuff and then we like aren't excited about what we were briefly excited about like three weeks ago. I might also want to like brainstorm like, ooh, what's like a silly four star movie we could put in there? Maybe something we've seen before, maybe something I've seen before, maybe something neither of us have seen before, you know, but just like what's something Police Story 2. Police Story 2. Have you ever seen it? Yes. I haven't seen Police Story 2. Famously. Connor and I went and saw Police Story 1 and 2, and that's how Ghost Divers got started. It wasn't entirely, but that's when we, like, really decided to do it. I always think about the the Blade Runner 2049 as the the genesis of... No, we just also went to Blade Runner 2049. Um, But it was was in the intermission between Police Story and Police Story 2 that we talked so much about Ghost in the Shell standalone complex that we just committed to, we're just going to do a podcast about anime. But yeah, um... I would love to find like yeah like a four star movie for that episode eighty six spot um, to to just bring the energy up and hopefully the devils also does that yeah so where can people find you online um you can find me at Foxomnia on Twitter and all sorts of other websites Letterboxed Coast although I rarely use Cohost uh, Annie List those are the big ones that I like actually update sometimes um but if i sign up for something it's probably going to be fox yeah so go listen to my other podcast you mentioned around the long fire um for half the time usually we talk about the saga and then we just bullshit Mm -hmm. there's a lot of gundam talk if you're like oh you finished victory gundam and you're not going to talk about it on the podcast it's probably because em and i are going to talk about it on around the long fire also i'm pretty sure uh connor and i will talk about it on pondering Pluton. Another podcast that I do, um, where we have a timer. Uh, we're reading through Cromarty High School at the same rate it was published in the weekly magazines. We sometimes talk about it, we sometimes don't. Uh, and we have a 30-minute timer, which is 
one just generates humor because we get cut off, but also is in and of itself a joke because our other podcast, Ghost Divers, we regularly go three hours. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm scrolling up. Um, I'm going to say if you've never listened to Putani, you've never listened to it, or maybe you listened to one or two episodes and you didn't care for it. You know, no shade. Um, I would really, really like to recommend to you episode 34 of Putan. I was get stuck in the bit. I was fucking. I was in fucking stitches. Episode thirty four <laughs> was so fucking funny. <laughs> um, I felt slightly weird. I was like, I don't know if this one's funny or not because we just got stuck in the in the like weird improv bit we were doing. There's a really good bit that runs through the whole episode, and I don't. I don't know why this line really got to me. Connor Connor at that episode says. The United States is the only country that contains both Milwaukee and Florida. <laughs> and I've thought about that every single day since. I don't know why it's so funny to say Milwaukee and Florida. <laughs> Let us re- we, Connor thought of America. He contemplated the concept of the United States. And the things he got to were Milwaukee and Florida. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I think we, I forget if it was three or five places that we recommended that if you ever visit the United States um, and go on a walking tour, you should check out. Yeah. It's, so. it's, a, I, will, I won't say more. I just, United States, the United States is the only country that contains both Milwaukee and Florida. <laughs> That's true. That's a fact. Yeah. There are a lot of things you say on that episode that are not true. That one was, yeah. that's true. I think maybe that's why it's funniest. Cause there's, <laughs> there's so much bullshit. There's so much just, you're just in this. Ju- it's true, but it's also still in the same improv mode that we're in, which is uh-huh. like, uh, deeply unhelpful <laughs> travel advice. <laughs> yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Atomlin underscore coffee. You can go to exportaud.io. That'll take you to the Patreon page for patreon.com slash exportaudio. Um, on that page, we've got links to all the free feeds. So if you're like, I hate giving money to funny podcasters who make two and a half hours of content that I enjoy, uh, you, you can listen to- Two and a half hours? Two and a half hours. I'm almost certainly taking that sick day tomorrow. <laughs> um... If you hate fun and whimsy, you can listen to those free feeds. You'll get everything a week late. You'll be so behind. Every All your friends are going to be talking about the newest episode of Stairwells, and you'll be like, I, I haven't heard it. I'll, I'll hear it next week. And then all your friends will be on to the newest episode of Stairwells, and they won't talk to you. So for only a dollar a month, you can get access to the newest episodes of Ornate Stairwells, the newest episodes of Pondering Poop Tom, the newest episodes of Gotham City Limits on the weeks that that podcast actually comes out. <laughs> Not the newest episodes of Ghost Divers, because we don't do that one a week early. <laughs> um, and the other nice thing about um, doing the $1 tier is that you get everything, or not everything, but a lot of stuff all in one feed. It's all right there. You don't have to subscribe to Gotham City Limits or Ours Arcanum Separate or whatever. It's just it's all right there. And for five dollars a month, you get bonus episodes of Coffee and Comic Books. You get Pop Town Funk, um, which is on hiatus as part of my franchise has sort of like subsumed it. And also, Nora and I have been, you know, we've been, we've been going through it. You get um, an episode of this podcast where we did a bracket of every movie we've ever talked about you get an episode of this podcast from last year 
where we discussed with the repertory screening screw the thousand and one movies to watch before you die. Um, that's one of the best podcasts we've ever been a part of. Um, yeah, I want to not to interrupt your listening yeah. off of things, but I want to clarify when you say that you and Nora have been going through it. You mean like work's been rough, not like you've been going through marital strife. Oh yeah, you know what I just want to gonna... specify because sometimes people might talk about the relationship saying we've been going through it. Uh-huh. You're not meaning like that. No, I'm divorcing Nora. I'm taking all her money. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> uh, she's so mean to me. Yeah. First of all, she plays Skyrim, and then she she tells me about Skyrim, and I have to listen. Miserable. You know, the export audio hosts are not wives anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Way less funny than saying they're not best friends anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um... I love you, Nora. You're not listening to this, but I do love you a lot. Fucking gay homo. <laughs> That's me. I'm the gay homo. Speaking of gay homos, Nanahachi is real. Guts Griffith is real. That's true. Nanahachi is real. Yaoi is real.
Stop playing your phone so We're recording. I have to collect my golden eggs. I've got 262 golden eggs. Can I use that to upgrade anything? Mm, no, okay, I guess I'll do the podcast now. What are you even clicking? I got back into Egg Inc. Um, <clears throat> I gave this whole rundown to Molly earlier, um, but I'll give it to the podcast listeners ever so briefly here. Or I'll try to be brief, and if I'm not being brief, just tell me to shut the fuck up, okay? Because I could talk about clickers all day. Okay. I There was a time in my life I played a lot of clickers, a lot of clickers. It was actively detrimental to my, um, I don't know, whole mental health situation I got going on yeah, here. Yeah, so should I be worried that you're playing a clicker again, or? Mm, I got installed it yesterday. Be worried in, like, four days. Ask me how obsessed I am in, like, four days. Because I'm, like, a little obsessed right now, but, like, it's chill. It hasn't, like... I haven't been late to anything because I was trying to be active for the most amount of time to be efficient and blah, blah, blah. Ask me again in four days, like, hey, have you been late to anything? Hey, are you, like, ignoring responsibilities to play clicker? You know? But, um... I mean, I got back into Egg Inc. I'm, I'm not really sure why. I think I wanted a clicker on the phone. And um, the two that I was into way back in the day were Egg Inc. and Adventure Capitalist. And Adventure Capitalist is, like, just just a bad game. I think it's just, like, poorly designed um, to maximize the time you have to spend watching ads. Because if you're not watching ads, you're not playing optimally. Egg Inc. is at least, like, hey... There's an ad for you to watch every five to ten minutes. You need to watch the ads for optimal play, but it's not like, you know, I'm not trying to maximize my efficiency on watching ads like I was with Adventure Capitalist, you know? <laughs> Which is like, it's a dark place to be in your life. Um, this is why uh, Crazy Taxi Gazillionaire is like the best one of these, because Crazy Taxi Gazillionaire, you literally hit a point where it's like, well, you unlocked everything. You've been playing this game for, like, 14 days, and you have unlocked everything. Yeah. The number still goes up, but, like, there's nothing left for you to do. Um, the, uh, the most I've ever gotten, like, a gotcha-style phone game uh-huh. was the SMT one, which is n- maybe not that surprising for people who know me. Yeah. Um, If you were someone you know, et cetera, et cetera. I just like those demon guys, you know? You, we know you do. I wanted to get Lilith, and I got... Like, Lilith is just my favorite demon. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, got her, and then some of the interest faded, but then I was also, like, doing some of the other stuff. But... When I was playing that, and I don't know if this is true for other gacha games, but I was like, it's not quite to, like, the level of, like, the exact actions you do, you're doing aren't the same as a, a clicker game. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, still operating in a very similar way where there's, like, stuff where it's just, like, on a cooldown and things. So you're like, okay, well, I need to level this up, so I'm just going to, like, have it running. And it will do, like, auto battles for you and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> Egg Inc., I like because um, I some cards on the table. I installed this game yesterday. I have put $16 into it. I am cutting myself off with that. If I play it for two more weeks, I can put six more dollars into it because, you know, it'll be ridiculous. There's a mechanic where if you 
pay $6, you break open the piggy bank. And if I, if I play a certain amount of time, I'm like, well, I'll let myself open the piggy bank again. But I've already opened it once, and I did the thing. But whatever, I don't need to get into all this. Anyway. It hasn't been four days yet, but I am starting to get worried. Because <laughs> I don't spend $16 on, like... Like, Resident Evil 7 will go on sale for $10, and I'll balk be like, $10! My God. But I've got yeah. egg ink for two days, and I'm like, $16. That's nothing. I don't know, whatever. We'll just give the game its blood money. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like it because the real, the clicker game I actually really love. I think it's well designed. Um, I think it's like, there is stuff where you can put money into that game, but it is not overbearing, is Cookie Clicker. I think Cookie Clicker... Um, and it's one of the earliest ones. And so I think that's why it's yeah. not as inundated with the ads and the microtransactions and the this and the that. Um, that's definitely a thing that's come into the game as it's gotten continued support over the 15 years since it was released. I don't know. Um, Egg Inc. is the one where I, on phones, where I don't feel like I am the product as much as Adventure Capitalist really sort of changed the whole way that clickers are designed in a big way because of how the ads work in that game. Um, so, like, and it, it, it basically any newer, any, any clicker game I've tried that's newer than Adventure Capitalist is following that very same mold where it's just, like, you literally, you're watching ads, like, every minute to maximize the way you play the game. You're watching ads more than you're clicking, it feels like. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll see how long I stick with Egg Inc. It might, it might become a problem. The other thing is, I have two other games on the Steam Deck that do not require more money from me that are also basically clickers. Vampire Survivors and Civ Six. And Civ Six has the advantage that then I get to tweet funny stories about... Uh, yeah. <laughs> So maybe I'll go back to Civ 6. Maybe if I decide... Because the other thing is, Civ 6 being on the Steam Deck, I can I can lay on the couch and I can decide, you know what? I had a bad day. Five hours are going into Civ 6 right now. Yeah. You know, that's what... I can just make that decision about, like, here's how I'm spending this time. Whereas Egg Inc. and Clicker Games in general sort of, like creep up on you because they're they're so you can access them instantly yeah um, and they like demand upkeep more yes yes yeah. with Civ 6 I save my game and I'm done you know now Civ 6 also has a sort of I think the just one more turn mentality that has guided the Civ, Civ series and strategy games largely I think that is also insidious in its own way yeah um but at least it is not extracting more money from me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I paid for it, and it's done. And sure, there are days where I mean to play two hours of Civ 6 and play 6, but at least I didn't spend any money at the end of that day. At least I didn't watch a bunch of ads for other clicker games that I could also install, you know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> we'll see. Um, I, I No shade to Egg Inc., Mostly good game. I I 
I'm fine with the $16 I spent on it. I'm literally fine with it. I know I don't sound fine with it when I say it that way, but I sort of, I don't ever spend money on mobile games. Never, 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 never. Um, and I was like, mm, pay me $16, get the little, two little things I wanted. I'm done. All right. I sound like an addict when I say it like that. Yeah. The longer <laughs> oh. this segment's gone on, just the more concerned for you I've become. Me? Getting... I, I for one, never, ever seem to get addicted to things very easily. No, loudly. <laughs> just roundly <laughs> clink, crinkle your arrow... Rapper, yeah. Um, is Arrow sponsoring the podcast or no? Damn, I keep hoping we'll get sponsored by snacks. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, I've never, I've never put any effort into a thing. I have thought about from time to time. I would like if Export Audio as a podcast network was more popular and made more money. I would like that very much. I think to make that happen, we would have to work a lot harder. And to be able to work a lot harder, you know, I would have to not work 40 hours a week on my feet at a job that sucks, plus Nora doing the same, plus you doing the same, not on your feet, but having the trade-off of toddler. <laughs> yeah. I think if the three of us could just all quit our jobs and be free of responsibility, we could put a lot of effort into export audio that would grow the audience, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> something that has crossed my mind is could we run ads on the podcast? Could we like reach out to fucking Squarespace or whatever and be like, oh, we make X amount of money and blah, blah, blah um, and get ads? I think Listeners, I'll tell you the truth. Because of aforementioned working 40 hours a week situation, I've just never wanted to look into that. Yeah. The one time is like, I talk about Libro FM on these podcasts a lot. I should see if they sponsor podcasts. And they do. And then they had an application you had to fill out if you wanted to be sponsored. And I was like, applications, huh? That sounds like yeah. 20 minutes of my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. What have you been up to this week? I mean, I'm going to talk about the main thing in, like, the main segment. Okay, yeah. I figure it would just be fun, talking about my yeah. vacation. So people have already heard that. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I also went, this maybe won't say in the main segment. I can put this here. Uh, just had a very, I guess I'll mention it in the main segment. I had a very busy, like, general week, because then... Uh, yesterday went to Madison for me and my kid to get haircuts. Mm -hmm. so. Um, um, yeah. And I'm just like trying to, uh, play Chrono Cross cause I, for a really long time, my kid wanted to watch me play, mm -hmm. which, uh, when I don't have a ton of time generally to play games, mm -hmm. uh, further like limited it cause I couldn't like put the kid down and then play it mm -hmm. um but now i've gotten like uh vague approval to to play on my own sometimes so. okay um which has been good because i'm like right at the part where there's a segment in of the game where uh there's like basically just a 
like six bosses you have to go around and fight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and like do this relatively low spoiler. But that's also the part where you can like start doing some things to prepare yourself for like end game things. And so like one of them is you can steal things from those bosses that then make like this optional boss that's otherwise impossible, mm-hmm. like possible to do. And so then I did that. And then from that, you get like an accessory that makes you like a powerhouse for damage. Mm. Um, so I did that. And then there's also like some side quest stuff where you get a good weapon for the main character. So you have like the good weapon and the like powerhouse accessory. And then you're just like dealing like you'll like do uh, uh, your strongest physical attack and deal like as much damage as summon sometimes. <laughs> do you, I don't remember. Are you a Final Fantasy VIII person at all? Have you played Final Fantasy VIII? I am not. Okay. I mean, I played like a little bit of it. But. Okay. Um, I'll tell you, I don't know that I've ever told this story on a podcast. Um, so at the end of Final Fantasy VIII, there's a huge castle um, and like basically... You, like, go into the castle, and you lose all your abilities except attack, you know? Yeah. You might even lose attack at the start. You might have to, like, flee from a couple battles before you can get attack. Anyway, I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> But you're going through the castle, and you're getting your abilities back, blah, 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 blah. And um, this is just a dumb story. So I, I've played some Final Fantasy, not a ton, and so I didn't know what the zombie status effect did. Do you know what the zombie status effect does? Um, it's like basically yeah. healing hurts you. Yeah. And so, but I didn't realize that. So there's this one boss in the castle who has the zombie effect on him, right? And I was fighting him and he was kicking my ass and I had one, Kistis was in my party, and she had this one really good healing ability. Like, really good. And so he kept wiping out my party, and then Kistis would, like, revive people, and it was just like this. We were slowly, slowly, slowly doing damage to him. And I was getting fucking exhausted. I was fighting this motherfucker for, like, 30, 45 minutes, something like that. And, um, finally, like, he's down to like the last quarter of his health. And I was like, was there a trick to this boss that I didn't realize? And I looked it up and it's like, Oh, zombie healing hurts him. Okay. And so I cast Kistis's healing spell on that boss. And she did enough damage that time that I could have one shot him if I did it at the start. Yeah. That's my, that's my optional I, side I boss who's impossible some, story. I don't know if it's on a podcast or not, but I think at some point you told me about this, because then I think that's the first time that I told you about the boss in uh, Soul Hackers, that's the, the dolphin, oh, yes. where, um, yeah, like, there's a little thing of, like, the dolphin lies, uh-huh. and so that's, like, your clue that, like, when you do this, like, when you do a normal attack, and it's like, oh, it's hurting me so much that you're actually healing him, and when you do a heal, and he's like, oh, it hurts, then, like, <laughs> <laughs> I and you just, like, have to find the kid who is just, like, uh, dolphins always lie. <laughs> I don't have a ton of interest in SMT, just like, you know, yeah. um, I don't play RPGs that often. I like RPGs when I do, but I just don't play them that often. The SMT games are notoriously all very long. Soul Hackers is like the one that I'm like, mm, maybe one of these days I'm going to get get it Soul Hackers because I've got it on the DS. It, yeah. I don't know if you know this. 
it's very easy to hack your 3DS. <laughs> um, it's actually very easy. I've got it on the 3DS. Yeah. I could get it on the Steam Deck pretty easy. Um, there's that remake out now, right? Or sequel? Sequel. Okay. I didn't know if they yeah. also re- did a remake or something. The the 3DS one is the remake because it re- was originally right. a Sega Saturn game. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah. Soul um, Hackers, yeah, is the one that I'm like, that looks good because it's like a blob. It's a blobber, right? It's like a you're a first person dungeon crawly guy. Yeah. It's an Etrian Odyssey. Yeah. Etrian Odyssey invented that genre, right? No. It's a a dungeon crawler. You just said, like, blobber, and I have heard that term before, but it's still... It just, like... <laughs> it, like it has just this effect on I me mean, where I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> it's a beep boop pop. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one of the yeah, it's a dungeon morphs. crawler. Okay. Um, the the one thing that's kind of weird, I think this is correct, because it is like an earlier one, and so the one thing that I think can be like uh, other stuff has changed since then, but like I don't think when you recruit demons, I don't think that they level up at all. Interesting. Like later ones, your demon will like get levels and get new skills. And I think this is from the older model. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm remembering like where that line sort of happens, mm-hmm. where you recruit the demon and it's just like the enemy, you just have it now. And mm-hmm. like literally the only way that you can have stronger stuff than like what you're currently fighting is through fusion stuff. Okay. And also it doesn't have like the uh, helpful fusion stuff that mm-hmm. like you know, makes it so you just like end up like, oh, that's not the skills that I want you to inherit. Let me back out and then try the fusion again and then see. Nope, that's not going to be the skills back. And, you know, people did it all the time and then eventually just made it so you could select the skills because functionally that's what people were doing anyway. Right. That makes sense. Uh, It was just taking. The one thing is that sometimes it was just like you would have like the two skills you want, but you didn't know what the other one was going to be. Um, and I feel like with the, where you just select it, I'm far more to like, just have broader preferences where sometimes it'd be like, oh, I just really want to make sure it has those two skills and you get like a random third skill. And then sometimes you're like, oh, that ended up being kind of useful or so it has its downsides, but also the amount of time that fusion sometimes took. I'm, I'm glad they've changed that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it also used to like, not even like suggest to you what things would fuse to be and like there's no way to look up and yeah it used to just be annoying anyway the other thing that i was doing in chrono cross to i was trying to do the thing where i was quiet and so i just made you sound like an addict (laughs) but it didn't work as well because smt is a much more normal game than any clicker game so the other the other end game prep thing i'm doing in chrono cross is i went around and which I've never actually done it at this point yet, but I was like, I don't want to do the thing where I get into the actual end game and then I have to swap swap out my party to get the different colors to be able to do the different summons with the ones that you get from the six bosses I'm fighting right now to then get the like shiny material you need to do the the rainbow weapons, which are like the end game weapon okay. stuff. Um what I'm going to do is trap all of them, and I, I don't think I have ever played through and trapped all of the like there's like two tiers of summons. There's like the level seven and the level eight summon and the level eight summons you just get from these bosses when you beat them, Mm -hmm. the level summon uh, seven summons, you have to like go and find the enemy in the field that will cast it. If the whole field is that color. 
Um, and then like lay a trap before it casts it so that you can get it. And so I did that. I went around and got all of them. And then I got the material that I needed from all colors except for white because I'm an, I know I'm going to have a white character to do that with. So <laughs> You know what I mean. I knew what you meant. I just... Um, <laughs> right now I, I have a black character. <laughs> um, I mean, what... textually the game does involve you being a white character and then you turn into a black character and everywhere you go people treat you shittily. That is textually what happens. Yeah, but it's white and black magic, right? Not yeah. like you change your race as a... <laughs> well, you also... Like, you change your entire species. Okay. Um, I should... So, one of the things that I like about Final Fantasy VIII a lot is that, like, if you want to walk through Final Fantasy VIII, hit the attack button every turn... Um, and get to the final boss, you can basically do that. You might have to grind a little bit, um, but you can basically do that. And there is also lots and lots and lots of very fiddly systems that you can fuck around with for 999 hours, if you yeah. so choose, if you're a total <clears throat> weirdo. And I liked... The thing I really liked about Final Fantasy VIII was that I did... A decent amount of that stuff. I got into the weeds on Final Fantasy VIII mechanics. A decent amount. But I didn't, like, totally... It didn't... I didn't get so fixed on, I have to do all the side content. Yeah. Um, That it ruined my experience. I did just enough side content that I was then like, okay, I now want to see the end of the story. I'm going to go see the end of the yeah. story. Is, I think, that a, is that a balance you think Chrono Cross gets right? Oh, I think Chrono Cross is very good about this. I mean, one, there's no grinding. Uh-huh. So, like, that's already just, like, a, a thing with JRPGs that can be a recurring issue that's gone. Is that you just, like, it's, like, impossible to grind. The th- Final Fantasy VIII is weird. You can grind. You might actually fuck yourself over if you do it too much. Yeah. Because of the ways that, like... The, the, the junctions, yeah. and I, it's been long enough that I don't remember how you can fuck yourself over or why you would do that, but, but like, I know that you can. The tier of weapons that you get before, like, the rainbow, and, like, other equipment, like, armor mm-hmm. and stuff, uh, is stuff that you make with, like, dendrite, I think is what it's called, but it's, like, stone or, you know... Uh, rock or what it likes us the title it'll be like you know stone axe or something okay okay um granite gloves mm-hmm. um but it's all like stone stuff now i'm imagining getting punched with granite and that would suck yeah it would <laughs> fucking suck um that tier you can beat the game with just that stuff mm-hmm. you don't need to do any rainbow stuff mm-hmm. rainbow stuff will help out similarly like especially if you're not doing any rainbow it might help out to get the special weapon for the main character that you have to do like some side quest for, but you don't really need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of stuff is balanced in in a way where things might like fights might get trickier later on. But if you are just smart about like the system itself about like, Oh, using buffs and debuffs and these sorts of things, um, you know, you don't actually really need that stuff. Um, and then also, like, you know, in the doing the summon stuff, you don't even need to touch summons if you don't want to get rainbow weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can also be useful, especially once you get to a certain level. You get a 
element that just turns the entire field a, a color. And so then you can just do that as you're like, uh, let me change it all that color and then cast the summon mm. to make it easier rather than like the other process that I'm doing right now, which is that you have like everybody cast the same color, like right in a row. And then you like have the person attack once to like build it back up and cast the summon. Other... But all this stuff is like, you know, the, the summon part of the thing is, um, I, I have found when I play the game of like just building in doing summons sometimes when you're facing grunts, like especially if you like ha- go into a fight and there's like four or five enemies and not like two, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, just try and do the summon on this and you're going to get five. Cause each one that you kill with the summon, you're going to get the shiny right uh, item that like, you know, matches that color. So if you just like knock them all out with a, you know, you know, a uh, b- blue summon or something like you mm-hmm. use frog prince. It's like the first summon you get, then you'll get five. And it's like, okay, with that, you can do like five equipment, like mm-hmm. five forging things. So, so, um, I mean, you'll have to get it for the other colors, but, and so if you just build that in rather than reaching a point where you realize that you weren't using summons and now you have to like go around and farm them. Mm-hmm. But I did a little bit of it this time just cause I want to like, set it up so I can just, like, smooth... Like, I can just, like, glide through endgame stuff. That sounds kind of interesting, because, like, the thing... One of the things I chafed against with Final Fantasy VIII and VII um, was this feeling of, well, either, why do I ever use summons? It's just a really powerful attack that I have to watch a really long animation for. Or, alternatively... Why wouldn't I just summon on every single turn, you know? Like, I can just keep spamming this, and there's seemingly no repercussions for it other than, like, using my MP or whatever. Um, and I, I might be oversimplifying because I don't remember the mechanics of those games fully. But it sounds like maybe that is an interesting way of addressing, like... It sounds like Chrono Cross finds a good way of, like... Summons actually have a mechanical thing that makes them distinct from big attack with really long animation. Yeah. So, and I feel like actually the animations are slightly longer than they can, or slightly shorter than they are in some other mm-hmm. JRPG stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is usually a little bit of a longer animation, but um, the, the other thing is there's also like the game is like weirdly sprawling in a way, but it's like, there's all of these, you know, I forget if it's like 30 or 40. There's a large number of recruitable characters. Some will automatically get their like level seven tech skill. So like on your little thing of elements, there are these ones that are tech skills that are unique to the the character. Mm -hmm. So like the main character will just level up and get it at Mm -hmm. one point. Just has the level seven. Surge, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was like, no, Surge is the guy from Chrono Trigger. And then I was like, no, that's not. It's Chrono. (laughs) It's Chrono. Um, But... So the other thing that happens um, is there are some where you have to, like, do a side quest to get their tech skill. Uh-huh. But because there are so many characters, like, even if you're trying to have, like, oh, here are the characters that I swap in for normally I have, like, you know, I'm running with, like, Surge Kid and uh, Blue or, you know, Innate or something. So I have, like, White, Red, Blue or whatever. Mm-hmm. But here's the one that I switch in when I really want to yellow for like a boss fight or something. Here's the character that I have. You still maybe have a stable of like, you know, six, mm-hmm. seven 
of the characters that you're like regularly using at a certain point. Um, and so you don't need to just go around and get every single person's tech skill unless you like really care about being a completionist. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you just like resist that completionist urge because mm-hmm. so much of it too is just like, yeah, if you put that person in your party and then you go here, they'll meet like their alternate universe self and they'll like say something different. And it's like, a lot of that is meant to just be stumbled upon by like, oh, I have this character in my party. And so I got like a slightly different version of events, which I think is also exciting because then you'll talk to other people who played it and they'll be like, oh, I didn't get that. Or, you know, uh-huh. I didn't see that part. Um, there's like a really significant, um, like, I think like has thematic importance. Um, the main plot like is leading up to it. And then the conclusion of this, like, thread of the narrative is just entirely an optional side thing. That's a weird thing in Chrono Trigger too, where like the best part of Chrono Trigger is an optional side thing that some people miss. Yeah. Um, and everything you've ever described about Chrono Cross to me sounds like, sounds like somebody realized, Hey, that's the best part of Chrono Trigger. What if we make that what Chrono Cross is? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, um but yeah, and it just like by nature of there, there's a part where there's like, three different characters and if you pick one you lock off the other two and then there's another part where there's a choice that you make and depending on the choice you make there are some characters you can get and some you can't also just like predisposes you to be like in a playthrough i'm just not going to see everything anyway mm-hmm. so like it, it like just forces you into not being fully completionist in that stuff so um yeah i think i heard a child cough but I think it's okay. yeah i i just heard child noise and i was like um anyway and then i just heard a buzzing and i was just like thrown off okay i'm back now i'm focused <laughs> um my phone's probably in a dialogue recording but you want to um it in? i don't have a thing to plug it in here what's this I, that's the the laptop charger yes. iphone charger is it plugged into something? something? It's tangled on something. Um, no, but no, I would need a thing to plug in. Also, this has been like chewed the heck by a cat, so I don't know if it works. I mean, we could just pause after the non-homophobia zone. You could go grab your charger if you wanted. That's fine. I'm running it's out. So, like, I'm going to be texting a lot of people while we're recording. Oh, you're podcast. not going to check your egg game? Let me just open up egg game real quick. How are my eggs doing? Oh, so many eggs! Oh, let me just watch this ad. Oh, I got to knock this drone over. Oh, fuck. Ooh, I got 47 bazillion. Okay, I'm done. I'm fucking with you. I mean, I was actually playing, but I was just fucking with you. (laughs) You were actually playing. I was actually playing. Well, okay, Um, so... Anyway, people listen to that abnormal mapping on Chrono Cross when it comes out. Yeah. You're recording that at the end of the month, right? Yeah. I'm going to record it and then immediately leave for a different hair appointment. Yeah. I mean, it's still my head hair, but I'm oh, it you're dyed. not getting your. D- <laughs> <laughs> Start the goddamn podcast. <laughs> I didn't even finish it because it was. <laughs> it's. You didn't, Are you, you leaving that in? Are you cutting that? I wouldn't blame you either way. You didn't even say pubes. Yeah, I couldn't I'm remember. Gonna, I'm going to bleep what you said. I couldn't remember the word pubes, <laughs> and so I was just like... 
<laughs> okay. Composing myself. Thank you.